Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody and welcome to another in-season episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stogden. What are you, Fanny Craddock? What are you going to do with that? you going to bake me a cake? Sing me a song while I burn my fucking candles? I come here for a fucking shootout, a proper shootout, with some proper men, like Colonel Custer and Geronimo. Ever heard of that? No, because you're too busy in your pinny baking fucking fairy cakes, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of cooking, yeah. I'm not a good baker, though, but, you know. Well, did you bring enough for everyone? Uh, no, you already supplied Rude. the cakes. I did, <laughs> I did bring cakes. <laughs> Appropriately themed cakes as well. Good, good chat, Matt. <laughs> I've done a thing this interseason. I've just stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> Will it return? No. Who knows? Who knows? And speaking of things that may or may not return, it's Tim Matum. Well, I watched 18. I sequelized 18. Just can't seem to miss. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that you don't miss on your sequelizing team. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's the implications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the implications. The implications. Speaking of implications, we've got a interesting topic to talk about this week. It's one that will take a little bit of explaining. We've subtitled it as near misses, but that could be misconstrued in many different ways. So we will explain because. It is a Patreon pick, picked by one of our VIPs. And I will read the original request to you to kind of explain where we're going through. But, of course, if you want to join that fantastic VIP, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can go and support us on any of the tiers. You get ad-free and early access to all of the episodes. If you want to go to the £10 tier, you get bonus content, including full exclusive in-season episodes, movie commentaries during the main season, outtakes during the main season, loads of bonus stuff going on sometimes i chuck in a little extra bonus stuff on the fly we've done weird like sound test stuff you get a little extra bonus bonus content as well yeah it's a cavalcade of chaos and madness sometimes but it's a lot of fun nonetheless the outtakes are less outtakes and more have become like a like a side quiz game show thing that's yeah. its own little mini podcast sometimes. and by mini it's an hour long <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> most people say oh yeah you get the outtakes like yeah it's an extra like 10 minutes of us just like flubbing our lines on stuff it's how it started. Some, some of it is that. It's how it started. And then it turns into like, oh no, we need to, we've written entire quizzes, created entire game shows, played board games on the show before. Mm-hmm. 
It's a whole thing just for £10 a month. If you go to £20 per month, you get exclusive merch and discounts on merch as well as all the previous stuff as well. If you go to £30, you become an executive producer. You get a shout out on the show. You get an avatar drawn by the one and only John Scarrett. And you also get a clip to associate with your little name. I'm going to call out on this episode right now. The EPs for this week are McBreen. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Hopefully you're going to kind of get the gist of the topic of the <laughs> thing from the clips I'm going to play. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. We'll find out. It's Al Pacino movies. It's Al Pacino movies. <laughs> Near Misses, aka The Career of Al Pacino. Hoah! <laughs> Next up we have Canis Rufus. Hello? Hello? Rose? Rose? Yeah, we're coming home. Hoah! <laughs> <laughs> Next it's Martin Calderwood. There are two wolves. And they're always fighting. One is darkness and despair. The other is light and hope. Which wolf wins? Hua! I'm not <laughs> gonna punctuate everything with hua. Yeah. I'm just gonna cut it each time and just cut out the actual audio because I put that in. <laughs> Next up, it's Josh Vandersloos. Tell me, did you write everything down in that little notebook? Only if it's important, sir. How do you know if it's important? Well, I, I'll just sort of put everything in as we go, and then down the line, when we know what's important, we'll know that it's already in the notebook. So you do write everything down? Yeah, everything. Next up, it's Oscar Sadler. There's a connection between this Vigo character and the... Slime. It's the atomic weight of cobalt, 58.9. You better get over to Dana's apartment. I'd like to check out that bathtub. That sound is disgusting. <laughs> Isn't it just... <laughs> and last but not least of the EPs this week, it's Marcus Lindstrom. That's a lot of fish. You're welcome, You're welcome Matthew. It's <laughs> the perfect example. <laughs> Maybe you've clued on to the topic of what near misses could be, but just in case you haven't... Matt's problems? Matt's problems. <laughs> Pretty much. Let's talk about the VIPs for this week. They are the highest tier on patreon.com slash sequelizers. They not only get all of the previous stuff I mentioned, they also get to pick an episode for us to discuss here on the end season, which is exactly what we're doing this week. And when it comes around to the main season, they also get to pick a film for us to sequelize, requalize, or prequelize, depending on the thing. We're going to be doing sequelizers for season 13. Don't you worry. We've got all of the picks in. We've got the plan. Season 13 is starting to take shape. Mm. We have assigned the various films to each sequelizer. Yeah. John Scarrett's hard at work on his, his oh, wonderful God. illustrations. I dread to think what he's going to come up for some of them. I, have... I know exactly what he's going to do for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Well, we look forward to that in season 13. Before then, of course, we have the VIPs for this week. Starting off with the one and only Jonathan Firth Clark. Everything they built will fall, and from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. I hate that voice so much. Solid <laughs> Snake. It's Solid Snake. <laughs> Next up, it's Stuart Main. True courage 
is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. <laughs> oh, that's okay. We need to talk about that cast. <laughs> Al Pacino's Gandalf. <laughs> Sign me up. Paul Avatok. <laughs> oh, Would my. like to go on an adventure, Gandalf. Just when I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> Hold on, I've got that one. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Shut up, wizard. <laughs> I am Gandalf the White. <laughs> Next up, it's Philip Morgan. Ladies and gentlemen, for far too long, this country has had to place its brave men and women in harm's way. But then the Iron Man arrived, and we thought the days of losing lives were behind us. Second Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah. Next up, it's Hyper Dude Man. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We you met on a train to Boston. Boston. Yeah. Cute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? It is, yeah. The sound design in that film is so the sound weird. of Chris Pine being spat on. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm loving it. Next up, our penultimate VIP, it's James McDowell. I don't even know my own name. That's a little short one, though. It's James McDowell. James McDowell. Yep. <laughs> You're welcome, James. <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, the VIP that has asked us to tackle this topic that we're going to try and explain in a moment. The one and only, usually very cruel, but kind of interesting this time around, Josh Miles. My name is Robert Neville. I'm a survivor living in New York City. I am broadcasting on all AM frequencies. And I've got a great ass! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hoah. <laughs> Was that the appearance of your favourite character, Samantha the dog? There, Matthew. Some Samantha. I know, right? Jesus, that's Spoil what a, what a spoiler. What a twist. What a spoiler of an impactful twist in cinematic history. Uh, you can all eat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll get into the topic by reading the original request here from, as I mentioned, Josh Miles, the VIP, who asked us: fixing a film you feel could do with improvement. So far, so sequelizers. <laughs> every season. Kind of what we do every time. Go for a kind of summary of the films you've chosen, give a little bit about why you think they didn't work, and then do a little run-through of how you'd fix them. So that is basically describing our entire podcast. Yeah. How we've interpreted this, and we did have a conversation with Josh about this, and we kind of agreed on something where it's nearly good but it's not quite there. That You mm. either went in with expectations and it really let you down or, oh, the director's shit, but the casting's great or the cast is shit and the director's great or the script doesn't quite work. There's one so little good, thing. Something's off. Exactly. Mm. Something is off. It's a nearly really good film that just needs a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of twisting. Something we have done a few times on sequelizers in the mm. past. I often bring up the most egregious example is my Saw 3 where I really didn't change that much, but fiddled and tweaked with little timeliney bits and certain character bits to make it make more sense in the mm. wider canon, all mm. that kind of stuff. Tim's but Riddick. Tim's Riddick, exactly. Barely changed at all. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's like, take Riddick, it's like, there's something here. There's something that oh, works. I see what you mean. Mm. Right, right, right. And all you do is just take, and, it's, and this is what the whole point is. Like, somebody say, but that's not a good film, or, the, you know, that's a bad film. It's like, mm. ah, but if you take away this one fundamental thing or you change this, mm. it, 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 it shifts the entire movie. 
we talked about this with the recasting roles, where it's like, can you imagine this film, but with this actor? Again, The Matrix with Will difference. Smith. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, hang on, what? So yeah. imagine if The Matrix came out with Will Smith and it's like, I was, it was almost fantastic. But something just fell off. It's like, yeah. it was probably Sean Connery and Will Smith being in that film. Sean, yeah. I say this every time, I said it last time. <laughs> that is such a different film. Just a tiny little shift. Either one of those changing is, is a big shift yes. in mm. that film. And it's, it's stuff like that we'll be talking about. Whether the lead actor changed mm. or didn't change or needs changing. Mm. Whether the director needs changing. Whether there's a little scripty thing of like, oh, there's a plot hole there that doesn't really work. Or the third act falls off a cliff. Mm. This kind of stuff. It's those little... Tweaks and twists. And we're going to kind of go through some examples, kind of discuss how and why it happens, some causes, all that kind of stuff in the first half. And then we'll dive into a little bit more detail in the second half with some very specific examples. Mm. And the thing we should say, and, you know, all every time we talk about a bad film or whatever, there's going to be people who love it. And a lot of these are Don't super, we know it, Tim. super subjective. There'll be films here that we say this thing was wrong, that you'll be like, no, you're, you're totally wrong. That film was great. Or there'll be films where you're like, I can't believe you think there's only one thing wrong with that film. Um, you know, how, you just scrap the whole thing. You know, there's nothing good to, to salvage here. So perhaps more than most of our episodes, because usually oftentimes when we're dealing with a bad film, it's, it's something that you can almost categorically go like, yes, the vast majority of people agree this is wrong. This is going to be a lot more edge cases where it's like, yeah, there there was something good in there, but it needs, it just needs that one fix, or it just needs this single element removed, um, or added back in. And so, yeah, there's going to be some controversial picks in this episode, and the causes will vary. Yeah, it's not going to be like saying like, oh, and then this the other. Even even our choices of how to fix these films could be subjective. Uh, like be saying like, oh, this is clearly studio meddling. A different studio or independent thing would work. It's like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe what you get after that is, oh, I think this would happen. You, you, and we do this with mm. our own sequel stuff. It's like you hope you could present a different version or a better version. Mm. No guarantee it would work or work with an audience. Mm. And this is, you know, we we Matt always says, you know, there's a reason he doesn't give zero star reviews. Is that any film getting made is kind of a miracle. It is such a collaborative effort that oftentimes you can you think you know what's wrong. You think you go, oh well, you know, it was a great film apart from that one actor's performance. Like we should just recast that actor, and it might just be that no, that's a talented actor. It's just that the director was a real asshole to them, or the studio was a real asshole to them, or something like that. And so the fact that they're maybe not giving their best performance isn't actually even down to them, even though it's their performance. And you, you know, you think like, oh, okay. There's so many elements at play here. Yeah. I, um, I, I, and you, you you try and kind of read the tea leaves and read the, you know, stuff about the production and go like, oh, okay, I think this is what it was mm. that was wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're just kind of like estimating. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It is pure speculative fiction. So we're literally going like, it's somebody who's seen a disaster happen where there's a building collapsing or a rock slide and you go, well, how could we have avoided this? And it's like, sometimes yeah. you can and can't. Sometimes yeah. there are things like, well, I'll move out of the way. Yeah, but sometimes like, well, you built on a cliff. It was always going to slip into the sea at some point. Yeah. Um, it's a bit very strange opening one. I'm going to give you two films. So the movies of Steven Spielberg. Mm. Giving you three films, actually. Ready Player One was always going to be crap mm. because the source material is 
bad. Crap. Yeah. And some people are like, oh, I really enjoy it. It's got like, no, 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 no. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I'm just saying, oh, is everything subjective? And yeah, oh, that, really, uh, no. Let's set up a big like preface for the whole episode. Like, oh, you know, so we may not agree on this. Shut up. It's shit. Ready Player One gets in a bin. Jack, you're correct. <laughs> Put that on the soundboard. Um, no, uh, what, my impression. Every clip is still you because it's my impression of you, <laughs> bollocks. But the point is that it's a it's a bad film. Like, how do you fix it? Like, well, if the source material is a problem, and you're throwing it out. Yeah, there are ways around it. Blah 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 blah. He's Spielberg's already trying to make it into something else anyway. Yeah. Now, Spielberg made two films roughly at the same time. You know, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, two of the best mm-hmm. cinematic experiences he's ever made. He also made Bridge of Spies and The Post. Mm. And it's like, uh-huh. And it's like both those films are the definition of one of these near misses where it's like, not like bullet dodged, oh, thank God. It's like, you were so close to something here and I'm watching it and I can't say it's a bad movie. Yeah. But there's Post something here. Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Like, you'd have to work pretty hard to <laughs> make it a bad film. It's that and Nixon. It's political. It's his history. It's yeah. Again. And Bridge of Spies, again, it's, Tom Hanks again, yeah. Written by the Cohen brothers, it's like, the fuck is going on here? Yeah. It, but they're not five out of five films. Mm. They're not good films. And it's like, so what would you change? And this is where it gets really tricky because you're like, I don't know. Mm. Again, let's take the post. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the but, other thing is that some of these will have answers on, and some of them you just kind of go like, something's off. But yeah. I can't put my finger on it. I could suggest some ideas, but the truth is, I don't know what because it's like. Jesse Plemons is in here in his little role and he's great. I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, you know who's good? Bob Odenkirk's in this film. Oh yeah, fuck, he is in this film. It's like, it's a, it's a good film. It's like, yeah. yeah, I know. So why isn't it great? I like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, and that's, again, that's, as Tim said, that's so, so subjective. It's so true of a lot of things. Yeah. So we're going to try and broach that, but also um, throw obviously, a lot of your favorite Yeah, obviously the, 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 that's, that's a frustrating podcast of us just going, this, this film's really, it's close to being good, but it's not, and we don't, I don't know. I don't know. Why. So gonna, that's every other sequelizer's version. Of sequel. Not yeah. every. A lot of people are doing the same thing. It's like I don't know what it is about this film. It's just not very good. Don't like it. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, moving on. Yeah. So we're going to try and pick out some ones that have more clear defined, problems. clearly defined problems. But there's going to also be ones where we just go like, yeah, that that that, that felt like it should have been better. Yeah. Um, which is always a frustrating thing, and a, a lot of that stuff is down to expectations i think as well yeah. and marketing as well that's because true. sometimes you can have a film that has a terrific trailer and you get your hopes up and you you create in your brain your idea of what that film is going to be like based on the marketing based on the trailer based on your expectations or especially if it's an adaptation you go in with preconceived notions if you love the source material or even if you don't love the source material <laughs> you mm. just know the source material you go in with ideas of like here's what it's going to be like and then it doesn't fit that, and so it just feels off to you. Um, you know, there's the the, the, the I'm sure uh, Breaking Dawn Part Two. Uh, all the people who love those Twilight books were probably like, "Why is there is this massive battle in the middle of this thing?" The best there's, part of the movie, yeah, that's the best part of the movie, possibly the best part of the franchise. <laughs> um, the where it's just like, yeah, let's rip some motherfuckers' heads off, uh, and. Uh, yeah, all all the people who just wanted a purely faithful adaptation of the books were probably mm-hmm. going like, what is this nonsense? Even though it's a more interesting cinematic way to yeah. show off the final dilemma of that story. I agree. And I think... 
<sighs> Shit, I had something and it's gone. Uh, one moment. Oh, yeah, got it. And I think that's a very important aspect to it because it's also reflective of how we view cinema. Where if I say to somebody, Roma is a masterpiece, it's an astonishingly good film. And people can come out of it saying, either, nah, hey, it, it was boring, not for me, mm. fair enough. Or, yeah, I really wanted to like it. I could understand why it's a, 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 a critically revered film, mm. but I didn't enjoy it. Mm. Semi different things there. There's an yeah. element to that too. But it's also the idea when you're a kid and, and Tim, when the critical mind comes online, you know, you do at one point in your life go, that was a film, that was a film, that was a film, that's not for me because it's a boring adult film. Mm. And then you go, nope, some, I should have liked that. Mm. Something's off. Yeah, I mean, a good, good example of like differing expectations, I think, is uh, when we touched, talked about prior to recording, X-Men First Class. There we go. Matt loves it. I think it's great. Uh, I don't. It doesn't. And I think the, the crux of where our differences come on that is that Matt's coming to it as here is a film Yep, and I'm coming to it as here is an adaptation of X Men. And as someone who doesn't read, I, I have I think one X Men comic. Yeah, and that's Schism, which is eh. yeah. But um, my X Men, I, I mean, again, there, there were two big groups in the Marvel things: Inhumans and X Men. I prefer the Inhumans. I don't know why. I think, I think Fuck I prefer... off! I mean, nobody prefers Inhumans. Right here, buddy. Good lord! But that you that... contrarian wanker. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> But the point is there that specifically, because I haven't got all the attachment, I've got the other X-Men films mm. and I'm basing it on that. Yeah. So um, similarly, coming into the, very strange pivot, Harry Potter stuff, I don't give a fuck about the books. I was going solely on the movies mm. when I was like, oh, I enjoy four and I enjoy six. And people like, I'm not sure sure about it. It's like, well, I am. Mm. And five isn't very good. So five of the best ones. It's like, no, it isn't. But that's again, what, that's what you get. Yeah. Adaptations See, are even I, more tricky. I like five. Because I've read the book and it's such a dramatic improvement on the book. There it is. And that's, the, that's the key thing. Is there's so much to, that you're bringing to every film, as yeah. it were, that, that dictates whether this was a good thing or not. Very recently, to the point that Jack and Tim haven't seen this yet, but my wife and I have, uh, the creator, the Gareth Edwards film, mm. yeah. I gave it a three out of five. And I was talking to a friend about this and he was like, he gave it a two, basically. And said, I thought for a moment I gave it a two, but then I realized, no, basically because it's original IP science fiction, that achieved so much on that budget that even those glaringly awful problems with the movie is still a three out of five because they've achieved so much with what they have. Um, it's like, well, how do you fix it? It's like, don't have a script written by Gareth Edwards. <laughs> have someone else write the script mm. and then he directs it. Yeah. Because then you'd have a really strong idea that's good and the visual execution and that really grounded, amazing filmmaking to make it work. It's like, mm. oh, bang, a near miss. But you said it was a near miss. It's like, yes, but you give it a three out of five. Yes, because mm -hmm. some bad films you can fit. We'll cover mm. this in the second half. Um, it's not just all like these are all perfect movies, but there's like, oh, you know, it'd yeah. been better if Legolas didn't like run up those stairs weird. You know, it's like, I mean, sure. Oh, yeah. you know, it been really good if the CGI was perfect. Well, the CGI didn't exist at the time. <laughs> yeah. That, don't be stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're, yeah, we're, we're, some of these are going to be small, nitpicky things. And some of them Welcome are going to, to be big structural <laughs> problems. Yes. But I think, I think hopefully with all of our picks, second, certainly in the second half, they, they aren't just a Legolas runs up the stairs weird. They're even when they are relatively small parts of the film, because of where they hit, usually, usually it's in the third act. 
Yeah. Usually it's a thing in the third act where you're like, oh, this film has been so good and so good and so good. Oh, really? You're making that decision? And then it feels like, a, and you leave the film with that impression. Um, mm. And uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah. I, Steve Spielberg again. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Spielberg's War of the Worlds builds and builds. And you think to yourself, it's, it's kind of doing the Jurassic Park thing, like the big schlocky stuff, the little raptor like mm. things. And then as I always maintain, it's like, so Tom Cruise, your kids have a fight with you saying you're just trying to get us back to mum. Like, uh, no, I'm not. It's like, yeah, that's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're trying to foist off your kids because you've established you're a terrible fucking dad. It's like, mm. shit, he is. And then the son goes and dies and yeah. he has to then find, if he does find the mother, which he won't because they're all like fucking clearly dead to live in a city. Mm. What's he going to do? What's, what's, the, what's the, we're building to a character moment where this individual has been running, oh, hello Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> running from so much in their life and their children have called you out on it and you're going to have to face that. You're going to have a real emotional, interesting, cathartic moment. Nope. They get there and they're all just, they come out from like having Sunday lunch, they're all fine. Yeah. And the kid happens to be there as well. Yeah. And Tom Cruise just goes, <laughs> and the film ends. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck did you just do? Yeah. You've just, you were building so much emotion. And I don't mean like the simple, and it even does the point that undercuts the clever element of the H.G. Wells novel mm. of saying like, it wasn't us that, and our machines that killed the, um, the alien invaders. Mm. It was spores and tiny creatures and microscopic mm. things and germs. Like, what a fascinating thing. Nope. Mm. It's the whole like, that's dumb because this is dumb. And you're like, you fucked it. Yeah. You, were, you were so close to doing another Jurassic Park would have been, this is so cool. Mm. And because of this really stupid Tom Cruise has to be loved nonsense yeah <laughs> you end up with all all i can really remember from that film is the is the the teenage son running over a hill <laughs> and then the entire other side of the hill blows explodes, up yeah and it's Flame like ball. and it's like oh wow wow they killed off that kid oh oh he's back oh fuck this film <laughs> yeah and that, that's a prime example of like well how do you think change the ending yeah and make it have meaning now it's good yeah it might not be perfect, but it will be a better experience as a film. That's, that's what we're going to try and cover and talk about. Yeah. But we should talk about why these things happen. Because, and this is a, we say this quite a lot, and it's, it seems ridiculous because you think to yourself, really? But it's true. Almost, and let's face it, really, I can, I can drop that almost. Nobody sets out to make a bad film. I, I know you want to jump in. Jack, Jack was always like, no, what about this? It's like, no. Everybody, when they make a movie, thinks they're making a fantastic fucking film. Mm. And most of the time when you're making said movie, you can't tell you're making a bad film. Mm. <laughs> or you can misinterpret it and think you're making a bad film, but it's actually Fury Road. <laughs> and you're like, sorry, Tom Hardy, you were lost. Yeah. Fair play, but you weren't making a bad film, you just didn't realise it. Yeah. Because you weren't the main character. Um, but that's the point. It's the idea that People set out to make movies they make money, they want to make a good story, make mm. an impact on history for their career, whatever it happens mm. to be. No one's like, I'm going to make a big piece of shit. It's like, yeah. People said that after they've made a big piece of shit and try and say, no, it was intentional. I was like, yeah, was it though? <laughs> yeah, Tommy was out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you really mean to make it crap? Because I don't think you did. Yeah. It's like when someone says, uh, if you have an actor who's playing a musical instrument and they're like, oh, I'm so terrible at this. Like, I can tell you can play that. Yeah, because I know what someone who can't play sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it ain't that. I do love that where you get like singers doing bad singing on purpose, or yeah. bad musicians doing bad mm. music on purpose. You're like, you've trained you have to your really body. Really struggle to do that. Yeah, yeah. 
you don't know how not or or, or in a weird way it's like right stunt person fall down a stairs I'm like okay no 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 like a normal person would yeah what do you mean or, or the classic one is like show me what it's like when someone gets shot in the face and you barrel yeah. it's like no 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 <laughs> it looks like this and they just fall straight to the floor and like oh but yeah it's horrible but yeah. it doesn't look very cinematic and what I'm trying to get to here is the idea of these expectations and things you think you understand and, mm. but the reason is cinema is uh, again you don't open a shop to make to sell no goods mm. you, you do it because you think you want it to be a success mm. um, and that's where you start to get the fact that this is not one person making a movie there are so many hands involved and so many decisions made uh, Fant 4 stick was always going to be oh, bad because Christ. the script they had they went mm, we're not going to do that it's like well that wasn't a perfect script but it could have been much better well it mm. would have been much better but then that's Couldn't the first much worse. <laughs> it's true that's the start of the friction mm. then it's okay we're dropping all these points all these characters but we want also to make sure you call this we're going to have to do some reshoots and by the way the person you're desperate to have as a cast member we want this person okay another points of friction another attraction mm. another, another car, like gear grinding in your head and then it's like okay well let's try and be friends and make this work oh no I'm going to be a piece of shit to that actor it's like mm. okay so you've got an uncomfortable set as well <laughs> What about CGI? It's going to be rushed. Yeah, good, 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 good. Yep. <laughs> Editing, going to be edited five times to fuck. Great. Marketing, going to be shit. Yep. Okay, okay, okay. Reshoots, yep. uh, yeah, loads of wigs. Tons of reshoots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wigs, get around the reshoots. Yep, let's do it. <laughs> and terrible publicity. And what does that mean? No one's going to like it. Well, why are we bothering? Is yeah. Because we paid for it. And it's not bad, girl. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, as we said, it's important to... No, no one sets out to make a bad film and it can be so late in the day that you realise what the problem was. Everyone talks about how a film is written for the final time in the edit. Mm. And like, think of how much the film of the film is done by that point. And you can suddenly go, oh shit, this performance do- really doesn't work, does it? <laughs> like, oh no, like, we've discussed, like, the- this, we- we've shot all of this film and we've just. Now we're putting it together. We've realised there's this huge fundamental flaw in like the storytelling. Like this character just disappears halfway through. Why the fuck didn't we spot this earlier? And it's like because it's really hard to make a film yeah. because you're doing yeah. so much different shit at the same time, and you're and you're trying to please so many different masters. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, everyone everyone wants to come in from a from a kind of studio executive point of view and stick their oar in and feel like they've had an impact on the film and go like. Yeah, okay. Uh this is great, but um can we change this? I like and and it can be for completely valid reasons that that person thinks that their idea is good or it can be for completely petty reason like oh I sat next to that person at a party a couple of months ago and they would not stop going on about their child and my god so boring oh great we get it you're a proud parent can't fucking stand that person can we edit her out of the final third it's like whoa okay yeah you know unfortunately I saw a documentary about spiders yeah okay I want a giant spider yeah. in this film. It's like, I don't know if you should. <laughs> what is it? It's a Western. Yeah. Oh. Giant mechanical okay. spider. Yeah. Yeah. The Nicolas Cage will finally fight in the flash. <sighs> and that's where somebody <laughs> said, I want to see that spider. It's like, yeah. Both of those things are wrong. Yeah. That's a terrible idea. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if we include that thing that everybody knows about? When you say everybody, <laughs> I think you mean about half a percent of the film's audience. Yes. Probably less than that. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that turned up. 
people who went to see Kevin Smith talk at that Comic Con that one yeah. time, and then the rest of us have seen it online. Since. Yeah, and that's it. And it's like, yeah, these these things are meant to have broad appeal, and you're spending 30, 30 of your precious seconds. God knows, like what what that works out of in terms of like hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, and like. God. To show, oh, it's probably millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, to show like a badly CGI'd Nicolas Cage fighting a badly CGI'd spider. Yeah. Anyway, oh boy. Yeah. It's interesting for me, like thinking about because I feel I feel like this happens a lot for me where there is that one thing, and we talk about the butterfly effect so much on the show as well. Like you mm-hmm. change one little thing. Specifically, we were talking about this a lot in the recasting roles episode from a few weeks ago. Yeah. Where, as we mentioned, like Will Smith and the Matrix, huge change. Like. Maybe Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future would have been a massive change. Like, mm. We don't know. Mm. And for me, one that always sticks out is a film I try to enjoy because it's based on a thing that I like, but I just find myself so unbelievably frustrated by his lame mates from 2012. Mm. Uh, fucking Tom Hooper's fucking choice to do live on set singing. Fine. You can do that. People have done it before. There is a way of doing it. The way Hooper did it is not the way to do it. <laughs> they did it with no pre-recorded score and no click track. So for those of you who don't know, typically when you're recording a studio, you get a little metronome thing in your ear that keeps you in time with the music and stuff. They didn't fucking do that. So they're just singing to the void because mm. there is a dude offset in a little soundproof box playing a piano roughly with the tune in time with them singing. Yeah. They're not in time with him. He's in time with them. Yeah. The singer should never be leading the <laughs> timing. There's a fucking rhythm section in a band. There's a conductor in an orchestra for a reason. And they had neither of those things. And they were like, right, so um, we now need to do the entire score to how quickly Russell Crowe is badly singing this song. Yeah. Can you imagine? For the next the, four minutes. The, with, this, with the time signature constantly changing. The time signature non-existent. Yeah. See, the thing is, when you're, when you're a director... Sometimes that makes complete sense. So, for example, hello, cameraman. Wherever that actor goes, like I, I've told them just to go crazy with it, like full on, like French Connection shit, right? <laughs> Follow them. And it'll be, it'll be hard. I'm sorry, I know, but it'll, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a good sort of vibe, very chaotic and and kinetic. Let's go with it. It's like, yeah. oh, what even, even if even if they're moving so quickly that they go out of frame and you're a little bit late in keeping up with it'll them, work. it's going to work. Yeah. Now imagine saying to the actor, listen to me, actor. I've decided the cameraman's going to move. Okay. Well, where's he going? Is that, is that like a, is like an action shot? No, 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 no. Fuck you. He's not going to tell you where he's going or pointing, but I need you to get into the shot all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. So Gary here. I'm like, all right, mate. So like, hello, Gary. Um, Gary's going to suddenly start filming the trees. Mm-hmm. I want you in that shot. Yeah. So run over there. <laughs> That's what they asked the musical crew to do. Yeah. But it seems so unreasonable because like, you'd never ask an actor to do that. So you'd never ask a fucking musician to do that. But yeah. apparently you would if you don't have music yeah. works. It's yeah, it's insane. And like that film could have been really good. And even with the live onset singing thing, I think you, a lot of it is fantastic. You can make the work. I think yeah, the production is fantastic. Some mm. of the performances Casting's are fantastic. Pretty, Casting's pretty, pretty good. consistently mm. good. Also crazy. Yeah. yeah. But, but like. There's so much of that film that nearly works. And this is a perfect example of this where you just tweak a couple of little things and I think you have a significantly better film. Mm. And I know that's me nitpicking and a lot of people are just like, I didn't even notice or whatever, but like, fucking hell. Blame is is my favourite musical, so I know it and I'm mm. aware of it and I'm conscious of that doesn't sound how it's supposed to sound. Why does that sound? Well, oh, that's 
I also oh. love that um, everybody who like loves the book is like, mm. I hate that musical. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, what was it? You took one part of the story about a love story. And it ain't that. It's, it's about everything fucks up. Yeah. Yeah. This massive fucking book. And they take like a, a few pages. I want a like, that I can sing about. Ta-da! It's Valjean's story now. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it can be studio decisions. It can be director choices. It can be all this different kind of stuff. And I think those little things can make such a big impact. in the, the thing we finally see on the big screen, you mentioned editing there, Tim, like Bohemian Rhapsody is another example mm-hmm. for the... The edit of Bohemian Rhapsody, I find unwatchable. Mm. I was speaking to Mark, my boss at Kanda, and he said, I didn't even notice. And I was like, hmm, this is the thing, right? Because we are being nitpicky. We talk about this all the time. We are more conscious and aware of the process of filmmaking than 99.9% of Mm. the people going into cinemas Mm. because we talk about this shit on the podcast. Mm. Matt, you make films. We have made films with you. Mm. Like all this kind of stuff. We've been part of that process. We've Mm. been behind the scenes on camera behind a camera, whatever, mm. we kind you, of... You've all elevated we've, the performances of what you're doing and my scripts because we've had a conversation and sometimes you go, like, ah, that could have been better. But you're like, but would we have known at the time? No, yeah. it was really fun yeah. when we're on set. Why did that joke translate? Yeah, and, and I find it really interesting whenever I talk about music, again, going back to Les Mis and thinking about that, I am very musically aware. I, I can pick up on keys and notes and rhythms and time signatures very like easily and very naturally. And I find it fascinating when I have a conversation with somebody, say, for example, my wife or my mum or somebody like that who is not musically inclined at all. A normie. A normie, exactly. And they have no concept of what I'm talking mm. about. I'm like, this is in the wrong key. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? You're like, what do you mean it's in the wrong key? Where it's supposed to be, is this the real? And it's, is this the real life? Like, the Bohemian Rhapsody is in the wrong key. Mm. Like, what? What do you mean? It's like, mm. right. So the original mm-hmm. is in is in B, right? And then this, they've shifted it down, and it sounds weird. It's like, I mean, it's, they're, they're singing, they're in tune. Does it matter? I'm like, <laughs> it matters to me. It sounds weird. <laughs> to and, me. To <laughs> me. And not being able to switch off that part of my brain. Again, I have the sciencey side, and I'm very rusty on that kind of shit, but I'll talk about that in the second half. As a particular nitpick of mine in the second half, one of my choices. And having those, like, we talk about our critically aware brains and stuff like that. Not being able to switch that, that stuff off can cause me to be very nitpicky. And like I said, 99% of the cinema going audience won't even fucking notice that John Deacon had 16 seconds of screen time mm-hmm. less than Roger Taylor in Bohemian Rhapsody. But I fucking notice because I can name the bass player in Queen and I'm aware <laughs> of what's going on. Are you the, the, the joke in uh, the Weird Al film where it's like, John Deacon. I play bass and queen. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I, I, just, just, uh, just very quickly as well, just on the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, I was rewatching the scene where M- Mike Myers is playing the record recording yeah. artist, the uh, producer. And it's when they, obviously, the editing shit. But it's the <laughs> fact that it's not only that, it's obviously writing. The question is, how would you fix that film, right? Is it recasting? Not exactly. The casting's it, pretty good. It's not bad. It's, I mean, for example, the answer is go with the Sasha Baron Cohen film. About, th- that would have been really hmm. good. But the answer is, so that's, a, that's not just a recast, that's a restructuring, retonal yeah, thing. Yeah. But the reality is, get the surviving members of Queen away from this fucking movie. Yeah. Because it, when, when they leave and say like, oh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody got to go with this song. No one's going to play this. No one's going to have heard the band Queen. Rah, 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 rah. Every single one of them has to respond. Yeah. They have to say <laughs> it something. It cuts to each one individually. It can't be that, you know, Freddie was like, 
it's going to be out there. You're mm. so stupid. They all have to say you're wrong. Mm. So when they, they go past and they, they throw a brick to the window, um, they cut to them and all four of them have to say something. Have you ever thought how weird it is that you have a group of people and every single one of them has a line while the yeah. other ones wait to talk? It's dumb. <laughs> That's how Bohemian Rhapsody feels to yeah. me. It's like, but I, most people don't fucking notice. Nobody cares, but it's like, the, in the same way that you think that film has good dialogue, it's like, you've never heard people talking, have you? Yeah. That's not how people talk. <laughs> they talk over each other all the fucking time. And the flip side of that is that sometimes you'll watch a film or, you know, audiences watch film and they're, people come away from it and go like, I don't, it just wasn't, I can't just put my... Nebulous. Yeah. Mm, and, yeah. and, and sometimes you will then, and that even happens to us who are so, you know, oh, absolutely. rooted in films. Absolutely. You're just like, I just, uh, something about it wasn't right. And then you might read a bit of criticism afterwards and they'll point out like, oh yeah, it's like this, you know, they made this decision when that eight, happens it, to me they all made, the time. They made this yeah. decision like, oh, you know, all of the, all of the conversations are shot in singles. Uh, it's just one character on the screen. So you never really get a sense of where they are in relation to each other. And you think like, Oh man, I did oh, not notice yeah. that at all while watching it. And now I think about it. Yeah, it di everything did feel like weirdly disjointed and kind of like it was taking place in nowhere. And it's like, yeah, because so many of film's tools, you're not meant to notice. You're not, you're not meant mm. to notice editing. You notice it when it's bad. There it is. But mm. sometimes a decision can not necessarily be bad. It can just be the wrong decision. It can be executed fine. It just is the wrong decision. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> shit on Tom uh, Hooper out. But good, like, good. All of his in the king's speech, all yeah. of the um, like the blocking and the composition of yes. the shots is this weird stuff where it isolates people over in the corners and it makes it this really like um, off-putting, off-kilter decision. He loves his Dutch angles and stuff, mm -hmm. and it's like it, this is the cinematography and the filmmaking of someone who's wanting to like upset their audience, and it's meant to be this rousing like thing, rousing yeah. heartwarming thing even and it's like oh okay makes sense if it's early on in the film where like the two characters are at opposites but mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it continues all the way through so like what the fuck are you trying like why are you using these storytelling techniques even though they're perfectly valid film techniques and and in the correct story would be absolutely the right choice but in this they just do not work at all and so you come away and you go like, I don't, I don't know, like they, they, it meant that they kept saying they were like great friends by the end, but like something fell off and it's like, yeah, it's because it's these decisions were made. Mm, absolutely. There's a video essay about Tom Hooper. I'm trying to think that I know Patrick Willems did one on cats. Lindsay mm. Ellis did one on cats. Mm. Uh, there is a YouTuber I mentioned before, a music YouTuber called Sideways mm. that did a whole thing on firstly, the music of cats. That's why that's bad mm. because cats is bad. It's very bad. And then the music of Lame is. And mm. that's where they discuss like the pianist in the cage and stuff. Yeah. And they mentioned those crazy angles in the King's speech. And I was like, I've never liked the King's speech. And I had that exact same thing of like, mm. I don't really know why. I just don't really get it. Mm. And this is showing stark examples of yeah. like little Colin Firth in the yeah, corner. Yeah. And there's this <laughs> massive green wall. It's like, yeah. is he, no, this is his triumphant moment. Is he supposed to be feeling lonely and isolated? Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's that subconscious messaging of filmmaking that again even I, i'm i'm not claiming to be educated in film for the record i'm the least educated of the three of us here and far less educated than many people who do it professionally but it's that thing you don't even notice mm. i am couldn't tell you the first fucking thing about how to use a camera angle properly to 
to convey emotions and stuff. But as humans, we have pattern recognition. We mm. have this established language of filmmaking throughout our lives and just the basic understandings of how geometry works and mm. stuff like that. And those things matter. If a person is small on screen, they are supposed to mm. be small and feel small and feel isolated. Yeah. Mm. If they're big and shot from underneath, they're supposed to be big and powerful. Mm. It's really, really simple, basic shit that is like this subconscious stuff. It's stuff like the how the layout of the hotel in The Shining, if you actually map it out according to the shots of the film, doesn't make any it's sense. Impossible, yeah. But you would you would never pick up on that unless you are watching deliberately trying to do that. And it's because it's fucking Kubrick and Stephen King that yeah. people have actually done that. But you are on some level in your subconscious, you're going to pick up on that while watching it. And it adds to the disturbing nature of the film and the, the, the kind of the weird unreality of it. But like, yeah, you're never going to consciously, unless you're some, you know, sort of the weird person who maps out everything as you're watching it and go, wait a minute, he shouldn't be able to make a right turn there. Like most Jack people watching aren't... the thing prequel, having yeah. to figure out how that works. <laughs> I hated that so much. And um, that's one little Norwegian yeah. Antarctic base. Like, yeah. Yeah. Most people aren't watching films in that way. And yet they will still pick up on the disturbing atmosphere. They just won't realize why. And it's not until someone points out like, oh, yeah, actually, here's this map I drew of all the places they go in the film, and, like, this room is in the same place as this room, and yet it, you know, clearly isn't, and they do a U-turn here, and then, but they're in somewhere completely different. Yeah. The, uh, an analogy I'd like to give, very briefly, is one that takes away from art. We talk about music, we talk about film, we could talk about painting and writing, it's all the same thing, but it's still art. And for some people listening, like, yeah, but I don't get that either. Um, here's one, because I think it baffles us, even though we have a hand in it. Food. So there are times. You shouldn't put your hands in food, Matt. We've got to make it somehow. Oh, that's fair. Fingers in all of it. That's where the first fingers in pies come from. <laughs> it isn't. Um, so the idea being that you can eat something, and obviously we all we all eat. Um, everyone eats food. Everyone, most, a lot of people prepare food, but that doesn't mean you know. It's a difference between a cook and a chef. You don't know how to elevate a f uh, some food. Mm. Someone is absolutely able to go acids off. What do you mean acids off? What do you mean? Acid? It's not a fucking alien. What are you talking about? Her it's chef. Like, yeah, yes. Uh, behind. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically, it's like, what does that need? It's like, I don't know, tomato? Like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Anything else? It's like, man, maybe this. Or like, you know, some people could say like, I, I taste this. I don't know what's wrong with it. Well, what did you do? I don't know. Yeah. And then the answer is just like, yeah, the butter is too much and the salt's not there. Like, oh, is that it? Change it. Fuck, this is amazing. Yeah. But you don't yeah. know that because you don't cook on that level. Yeah. You're not preparing and creating meals. You're just doing other people's recipes. Mm. And, and, and equally, you can taste a thing and go, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. Mm -hmm. Why is it so good? Uh, just is. Just my, my mouth is a happy place. <laughs> yeah. My and mouth the well, is the happy place. We talk about like the, the, soundboard. the idea of films. Oh, yeah, there you go. The idea of films, not only is it the movie itself, but for you as a person, we talk about the idea of near misses. That can change over time. Mm. You can think that was the best film you've ever seen. They go, hang on a minute. And more of the problems creep in. Or alternatively, hate a film and it grows on you. It's like, well, how is that possible? I haven't seen it since. But the idea is still in my head. Yeah. That's when you know it's like, yeah, I didn't like it. 
but there was something there. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that's the same thing. That's an yeah. equivalent of the near miss, where it's like, it almost had you. It almost literally took you someplace. And the same with food. It's like, but I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. Mm. And it's like a chef might say, I don't know, I think it, means it needs to, you know, reduce this element, increase that, mm. try this preparation method instead. And you go, mm. yeah, that's all right. Mm. And they're both just fine. And equally, someone else could say, and the other part as well is that you forget the actual point of both food and, and art. Another factor of the idea of food and art specifically is the frame of mind you're in at the time. Mm. If somebody makes you food and brings it to you and you genuinely love them and you're in a good place, like, holy shit, this, you made this? This is amazing. Mm. It's like, yeah, it might not be. But the fact is there's so much going to it. Similarly, I watch a film like, yeah, I, don't, I really hate that film. It's like, do you hate the film because you went with someone you don't like and you had a bad day at work? Yeah. Like, maybe. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe it's just and a bad film. The opposite experience with the terrible film The Last Christmas. Oh, because the, <laughs> the three of us went to see it. That's a bad film. It's fucking terrible. But I had a great time because we were watching it together. <laughs> I watched and reviewed the live action Turtles film, the uh, 2014 one, the day before I got married. And I gave that film a three out of five. <laughs> and some people think that's not three out of five. That's like a two out of five. So, oh, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I gave it a star because I, an extra star because I, I was, was getting married, married the next yeah. day. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, that, that stuff just does genuinely warp into your brain. It, 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 you can't not think about it. I'm going to whip through like a fuck ton now because obviously we're, we're nearing the end of this first half and I want to give a few examples because A, it might be helpful and B, we went to the effort of writing them out. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to show our research, damn it. Yeah, exactly. Show your working, gentlemen. Um, so I'm just going to bounce through a few and just say like, you know, here's some problems, basically. Yeah. Uh, Public Enemies. It's a Michael Mann film mm. and it's about John Dillinger and it's uh, uh, Johnny Depp. Yep. I was really looking forward to I that film. I was so ready for that film to be great. And it was fine. Yeah. Like a, I think I'm going to give it a three, maybe not four, but it was, there's a lot that works in it, but there's also a little muddling. And so like, mm. what would you fix? Like, get rid of Michael Mann, maybe? And they're like, no, I can't do that. Yeah. Johnny Depp? No, he kind of works too. Something. And it's that, that frustration. Mm. Um, similar lines, Valkyrie. I arguably really like Valkyrie, the Tom Cruise uh, Nazi mm. plot thing. But again, there's something massively off. I, is, it, is it as simple as a, get rid of Tom Cruise? I, I don't think it is. The mm. fundamental points of the film, there yeah. are issues there. Is it Brian Singer? Well, he's obviously yeah. Brian Singer. But there's like, is it the, you know, everybody doing different accents and stuff? What, what, mm. what is it? I don't, I don't know. Because, you know, there, there's issues that way. Um, Silent Hill is a prime example because I remember reading that giving a three out of five and saying, I enjoyed it as a horror movie. It's okay. As a Silent Hill fan, I give it more because I enjoyed it more. But it's not a good film. And also... you got Sean Bean doing an American accent. Rose! Rose! I had it in the opening clips for a reason. Fucking stupid. Uh, w, the uh, George Bush, Oliver Stone film. Mm. Oh, yeah. Didn't go hard enough. Mm. Uh, Vice did a great job of that. That mm. focused properly. But W's like, oh, God, it's Oliver Stone. He's going to tear a new one. And mm. it's like, oh, this is... Um, you kind of made him a bit sympathetic a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it just focuses on, on him as like America's number one fail son. Yeah, it's like, oh, what a, what a haphazard, like, you're a disappointment to James yeah. Cromwell. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Rollins doing a good job. It's like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Shame about all those Iraqi civilians he killed. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to pull fingernails out. It's like, that's exactly what we're talking about, you fucking, and, and worse. Um, Hancock is a really interesting one because mm. I think Hancock came out in 2008. Eight, I want to say. Mm, and yeah, I think so. It was at that peak. We're about to go into the MCU. Yeah, it was that the transitional. First, the first 
the big, sort of big wave of superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the first wave that could be called a wave. Obviously, yeah. you had like Daredevil, Superman and and yeah. uh, uh, Batman and stuff like that, but sure. they weren't. They didn't create the wave. Batman created that weird uh, pulp hero <laughs> wave. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, then you had X Men into Spider Man into Daredevil mm-hmm. into a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Yeah. Um, Superman Returns around then. And Hancock telling this, uh, not only this story about, you know, an, a, a, a almost villainous evil yeah. Superman, as it were, but just a real anti-hero, misanthropic, but because he's been treated like shit. Yeah. And Will Smith doing an actually quite interesting layered performance yeah. that doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And then you got Jason Bateman and again, around. And again, weird falls apart in the third act yeah brings in this whole charlie's theron immortals like that was just out of nowhere really got to it really felt like they got two-thirds of the way through that film and went like how do we end this yeah where are we what are we doing with this yeah like yeah at certain films you do get you it does feel like they just kind of like they have a certain amount of ideas but they they never actually sit down and go like what story are we actually telling yeah um or and- they might have a, a really clear idea at one point and the studio steps in and says i don't like how you've ended this yeah change it and think what do you mean a case in point if you like uh this is not a good example because i think annihilation is a fantastic film mm. but alex garland's fin- um annihilation a very different kind of adaptation of a book and it would be very easy for a studio to say i mean they fucking binned it off on netflix for mm. international release yeah they could have said, no, change that ending. I don't like it. It's too weird. Mm. And then we would have all gone like, what the fuck is this weird ending where mm. everyone ends up quite happy? Yeah. The aliens God, go. Can you imagine? Yeah. We have given you the information of how yeah. to make bear women. Bye-bye. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's not like it was destined to be bad, but you know, yeah, yeah, so you can never tell, did you get this wrong from the start? Or yeah. did someone interfere? Um, but there are they're literally um, films that self-correct, like Kingdom of Heaven. Where it's like that was actively the studio saying, now is not the time to tell the story about equal footing on uh, religious yeah. conflicts. Like, and then Ridley Scott rightly saying, no, this is the perfect time to tell that story. Yeah. Bring me the boy cut. Um, <laughs> should I tell people what that means? No, if you're yeah, new to the show, yeah, yeah. The boy cut is there were two scripts, one was much longer. And I really like Kingdom of Heaven, but it's also like three odd hours long, three and a half, maybe four hours long. Um, and it's about the Crusades, and it's a very interesting, you know, nobody is in the right here. Mm. There's, you know, um, infractions from the past, sins of the father kind of shit. Mm. You know, you're not, these, these are the whole lands, who has rightful claim, everyone has claim on this land. And this was like a couple of years after 9-11. Mm. And it's like, we don't want to be hearing that right now. And it's like, well, I want to tell that story. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Um, and the longer version, the boycott version with all this stuff and the extra building to it, Makes it a better film. Mm. Much better. Yeah. It's still very niche. It's still very esoteric. It's very much like you can't, you, not for fucking everybody. It's not mm. like a mass music. Like, oh, did you enjoy Top Gun? Go watch this. It's mm. like, eh, not really. <laughs> um, so subsequently, there will always be things that push people apart and push people aside. Don't worry, Dar- Darling was in the, um, in uh, the clips earlier. Yeah. yeah. That's another one of them. It's like, I get what you were doing here. And they can't, they, I don't want to spoil the film actually, but the, the plot points are like, oh. And then you think about how the world is set up and go, no, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You don't, yeah, and just, just again, like I, I, I think I've had this discussion with you guys. I think we talked about it in our 
maybe in our sex episode. Maybe. Um, of just like certain parts of that film clash so much with the reveal at the end. Yep. Yeah. And you just go like, yeah, I understand why you made that decision from like a women in the world today point of view, but like equally that's not the film you're making, so why are you doing that here? Yeah. You've you've made <laughs> Okay, semi semi spoilers, I guess. You've made Westworld, but that's not what people would do in Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> to to in, in an estranged, you know, aside. Yeah. Um Yeah, and there are countless examples. We probably like Elysium, Watchmen, all kinds mm. of things where like you almost had it. Mm. You you and I always and this is the thing as well because he's like well Matt what would you do with the score in this right and then talk about Jack mentioned last week about the Halloween episodes of like is that deserve a three out of five I will reward the effort as much as I will reward the result because you're trying and trying it I mean I'm, I'm a proper teacher is like I gave this kid a B it's like why a C class work it's like, mm. I don't care they were trying yeah. they almost got there and if I don't and I'm the opposite of Whiplash <laughs> or David Beckham's dad. You've seen the documentary. Um, because it's like the idea of like, if I'm not pushing you, you won't be the best. Saying, oh, that's pretty good is going to be damning mm. for you because you have nothing to work on. I can't just say you did good because then you won't have something to improve on. It's like, how about I just encourage you to do the right thing to give you the reason to go on to do yeah. more because most people need that. Mm. Some people really tune to, you know, oh, I need that something to rail against. And other people are like, no, I need the support. To I need nurture and yeah. Absolutely. It's different for everybody. Yeah. 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 I think there's, we, you know, we've touched a lot on, uh, hang on. Sure. By the way, we're about 58 minutes in. So, oh, okay. So we can, yeah. we can wrap it. Yes. Yeah, clean, yeah. yeah. We talked a bit earlier about like, uh, the power of marketing and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there's, there's quite a few films where it's like, oh, the, ideas behind this the concept of it was really strong and Man then of steel and then, and then the execution was lacking and sometimes that is a that's more than one thing that's that's several problems but you know think of films like uh stuff like the green knight uh yeah. the film i wanted to love yeah. so hard yeah. uh, a cure for wellness yeah um the, it was like I can't make Bioshock. I'll make this, and like this is really spooking good. Yeah. Like, oh, this is all right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Elysium, yeah. Elita Battle Angel, like could yeah. have been really yeah. great, but when James Cameron was going to do it, yeah, uh, no fault of Rodriguez because I think him making a lot of the practical sets and things. Yeah, the, why did you do that with the eyes? The eyes is so weird, and also I get just, it's from the manga and stuff. But like, everybody has eyes in that thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. also just the. The let's just leave it on a Terrible complete cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Weird. Like you're yeah. not getting another one. Of these you're getting dudes. a whole franchise of these bad boys. Yeah. Some other recent ones like Ed, Rise of the Beasts, the Transformers. Oh yeah, film. yeah. I I want. I think there's a lot there that works because I I love Bumblebee. Bumblebee's a great film. Yeah. It's like do that, but yep. rather than 80s, do a 90s version. And there's a lot to like about it. And an interesting thing at the end of cross pollination from franchise things. But overall, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's three mm. out of five. And then sometimes it's things that that are legitimately great films, but especially with older films, you go back and you watch it now and you go, oh, like, this is a great film, but that's a character in brown face. 
or for example breakfast at tiffany's yeah fucking the hell. fucking mickey rooney's awful racist caricature Jesus um, Christ. Fucking hell. and it's not like we're like oh well different times it's like no they knew it was bad back then yeah, um yeah but certainly decisions that were made back then that would not just would never be made today and even mm. more modern stuff like like um hidden figures mm-hmm. a film I, mm-hmm. I mostly enjoy but like there's a a strong like thread of like white savior mm. like oh here comes kevin costner to tear down the bathroom signs uh yeah. element to that that like it just doesn't need it like these women's lives were interesting enough you yes. don't need to add that element into it to make it more kind of uh appetizing for a white audience yeah green book did the same thing where it's like here's a story of an open well openly but a gay african-american composer trying to take music to the southern states in a time where it was very very not cool to yeah. be back in the south but more importantly that's a story that's interesting that's mm. and also that not only the fact that he's you know trying to do this and is semi rejected by the south not mm. just by the white people but it's like he comes across as condescending and mm. you know um prickly and yeah and, and just just to, it becomes a class thing as well because of the education yeah. and the snootiness and the music and things, mm. even though it's not the case. It has to be about Vigo Mortensen's character. Like, Your people love fried chicken. Yeah. Like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Best picture. Oh, oh no. no. In the same year as Black <laughs> Klansman. Oh, oh no. God. So it's like, could that film change? Yeah. Don't focus on Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. There's an element I think that comes up a lot in sequelizers. It comes up in films and media in general. The bad ending. Oh, yeah. A lot. Oh, yeah. A film I still really enjoy, a book that has no right being as good as it is, is Doctor Sleep. Yeah. The, the yep. sequel to The Shining, which is a fucking <laughs> weird sentence still to me now, 10 years later after the book came out, or mm-hmm. however long it's been. But the final third of that film is just like, remember The Shining? Let's go back to the Overlook, you know. Okay, fine. And it gets real clunky, and it's like... And okay. it's a long film long as fuck as the last like 40 minutes of that film two that really stand out to me i played one of them in the clips it's matt's favorite twist in cinematic history <laughs> i am legend's ending is egregiously shit mm-hmm. and so fundamentally different to the books where it's like you know the the vampire zombie creatures whatever the fuck they're supposed to be are kind of sentient and actually they're you know, they're rebuilding society, it turns out. Like, that's a really clever twist. Like, Omega Man had this twist, like, built in already, and blah, blah, blah. That's so cool. And then he's like, anyway, none of that, and uh, off to a little colony thing I go, and I followed the the Jesus symbols and the white rabbit and all that bollocks. And it's like, <sighs> follow the butterfly. Cool. Okay. Uh, just went for generic bollocks then. That, that's a good choice. Let, <laughs> let's stick with just boring generic bollocks. And another one where I think it cuts off at a weird point, almost like Elite of Battle Angel just leaving it on the, the cliffhanger, is Ali, the Will Smith film from oh, 2001. Like, or Michael Manhate. And it's just like, and we're done. Like, well, that's like two thirds of Ali's career. Like He beats Frazier and then it's like, done. Yeah, it's the weird. Why don't you just make a biopic? Yeah, exactly. It's this weird thing. I think there is, there is value in doing that little like slice of life, little snippet of like, oh, here's an interesting section of somebody's life. But like Steve Jobs, 
Whereas yeah. those three launches as a comparative look between him and his attitudes and how things compared changed. Compared to yeah. Jobs with Ashton Kutcher. There we go. Um, and it's like, you, you can do that in a really interesting way, but I felt, and I'm, again, I'm a big boxing fan. I, I was really into that film as I was going through, like, brilliant casting, fantastic performances. Michael Mann's directing is great. And then it just kind of ended, and I was like, there's more stuff to be talking about here. There's, like, one of the most famous people in history. This is all pretty well documented. Like, we could go into some really more interesting stuff here, and there's some really interesting conversations to be had about Ali's career after that. And then just like, nope. Anyway, thanks for your two and a half hours. See you later. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. It's weird because the the biopic is a great example because there's so many things like, you're focused on this? I mean... Elvis that came out recently with Austin mm. Butler. I like that film, but I don't like that film. I think there's a lot to recommend and a lot to, to compliment and a lot to give praise to. And there's also the, why the fuck did you do this? And it's like, you, you're so close to making like the perfect Elvis film, but and then it you really isn't. As Lerman did it all up. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, but also like, but if you didn't Lerman it up, it would be just maybe generic. Like yeah. I've seen it 50 times. Yeah. Like, um, we've got like, you know, what if you just, uh, Sophia Coppola's Priscilla? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. Maybe I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. But yeah. uh, same thing. Don't know. Maybe. Uh, if Gonna make did... for an interesting double bill. That's true. Fucking hell. Tonal shift. Yeah. But then, you know, if you do like um an Elvis film that's straight, like straight like, like exactly expect, mm. it's just become walk the line too. Yeah. Kind like, of, I've yeah. kind of seen this already. Like, all right. Uh it's again, we'll, we'll get to, let's get some specifics. We should do Yes. Yeah. yeah, let's uh, we'll others otherwise we'll just be uh, listing films here that occasionally people go like no, you're wrong about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I am sure already people are seething. We're yes. ready, ready to piss some people off in the second half. Well, we often do on sequelizers anyway. Yeah, we're used to it. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, I'm going to kick us off with my first pick. This is one I've actually probably brought up the uh, most frequently, and um, it's the one that came to mind most immediately because it was an immediate gut punch of, ow, shit. I'm pretty sure I gave it like a four out of five when I reviewed it. And I often, I often talk about it in a way like, oh, if you just did this, it'd be fine. And it's a very reductionist way of uh, looking at it, and there's actually a more complex and nuanced answer because of course there is. The film I'm talking about is Martin Scorsese's 2016 Silence. Mm. A film that man had been trying to get off the ground for, frankly, decades. And therein maybe lies the problem when you're so attached to this thing. So it's a book written, I actually can't remember the name, the, 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 uh, the year the book actually came out, to be fair. It was 1966 uh, by Shusaku Endo. And um, it's about, <laughs> hello everybody, Matt's going to tell a story about Catholics in 
Japan. Wait, <laughs> wait what? <laughs> like it was made for you, Matthew. Yep, all of my crossing overs. No, um, this is the thing when people say to me, like, oh, mate, you're a big weeb. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. You must love Japan. I've been there twice and I fucking do, yeah. But you wish you were, in, you know, lived in Japan. Oh, that's not really practical for me. But you wish you were Japanese. Are you fucking stupid? It's hard enough being British. I'm not dumb. I know history. And also, remember, when I went to this island, I have to remember that the island in question had committed terrible atrocities to, in inverted commas, my people. Uh, you know, it's, it's a religious persecution. It's like, yeah. But then also, I go to Northern Ireland and get the same thing. So the idea is, sorry, um, silence is about the idea of when Japan closed its borders for full-on isolationism in the 1600s, the, you know, the, the full, you know, oh God, samurai and all that stuff. is like, Yeah, it's constant feudal war constant pissing and it is illegal to be a foreigner in Japan. But there is a port, a couple of ports around Nagasaki and those sort of areas where the Dutch would do trade. But the Portuguese were there first um, and they spread a lot of Christianity, started doing missionary work. And of course Japan's like, how about no? And not only that, it was like, right, you lot who've just converted to Christianity no, you're done. Convert back. Well, what happens if we don't? We will fucking kill you. What about all these missionaries and priests? We're fucking killing them. How? Some of the worst torture and imaginable sort of stuff. We're going to put people in, you know, geyser pits in, in you know, uh, sulfur mines. Like, this sounds like literal hell. It's like, yes. Yes, it is. So silence is the story of a priest who went out there uh, to do secret underground mission works from, from Portugal. And these two other priests who are sort of protégés of this individual find out that he has uh, openly um, reneged on his religion. He's, 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 he's said, I, I don't believe in God. It's all thing. He's renounced his faith and it's like, no, I don't believe it. I feel that's, you know, um, you, you know, it's, it, these hidden Christians need strong priests. They need people for their faith. They need us to support them. I don't believe these allegations. Like, well, you need to go over there, smuggle yourself into Japan and do mass for people, basically, and try and put your life on the line. It'd be very, very fucking dangerous. You're going into effectively enemy territory, and they will, they, if they catch you, you will be killed. And it's not a sense of like, well, how will they able to identify me? You're not Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, and so you have this whole crisis of faith. These two different priest characters are saying, oh, no, if you, if you do this, if you what was called to, to trample on the image of Christ, if you do these things and reject the religion, there's no going back. You, you, you must die a martyr, and especially in a religion that is very prized on martyrdom and all that sort of stuff. And so subsequently, the two priests in question are played by Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. And they both give very good performances, but one is obviously the main character, and that's Andrew Garfield. He plays uh, Sebastián Rodríguez, and he... Um, He's devout, but he sees how the people are suffering. He says, if it comes to it and they, they're torturing you, just trample on the picture. It's not, just do it. It doesn't matter. And then Adam Driver's character, uh, Francisco Gorupe, is like, no, you can't do that. Okay, no. That's not how it works. And it's fascinating how those characters shift and change a bit. They're tortured. The one who dies of the martyr's death that he was supposed to get isn't the one you think it's going to be. The other one who just folds and 
they meet and spoilers they meet up with Liam Neeson who is this older priest's mentor and he's like hello it's like you're not you're not dead like <laughs> no I'm living with the Japanese as a Japanese man and I was like what the fuck are you doing are you undercover no they cannot understand it it's like what do you mean and he says I talk about like the sun it rises again he points towards the literal soul the sun and he goes that's their sun that's what they get what we're selling them they don't want it and it's it's not worth it and so they end up rooting out, you know, working against other Christians trying to smuggle in Richard's iconography. And it's such a Scorsese film. It's a big sweeping period thing. It shows that it's not actually filmed in Japan, but, you know, it's nearby. But it shows a Japan of the 1600s, which is ravaged by awful fucking heat and terrible storms and um, the... Uh, the, the environment is working against them. It's terrifying and claustrophobic. It's, it's full of it, it, the political, uh, not political, sorry, the psychological burrowing against these guys' heads saying like, you're here on a fool's errand, mate. I don't know what you think you're doing. And it's questioning their faith as well. It's, it's Scorsese all over. And that might be the problem. I, and he wanted to do it for so long. The book works really well. I think the problem for me as a film is like, I don't know what, initially I was like, oh, maybe it's just the fact that Adam Driver should have been the lead and Andrew Garfield should have been the support. I still think that would have been a really good switch and it had boosted up a bit. It's also two hours and 40 minutes long. So it feels long. And it's a very demanding film. I think if you'd made it tighter, simpler, boost up the horror element as it were, there's, there's some really amazing interplay between some of the characters. I think it's really good. It's a really hard one for me to recommend. There's so many people who've started it and gone, eh, no, I'm good. It doesn't grip you the way it should. It's a mature film, yes, but it's also maybe too loyal to the source material at times. There's, there's so many elements of why it doesn't work. This is one that's near miss. It's like, how isn't this good? It's got phenomenal acting, a really amazing production design, and one of the best living directors. How am I not in love with this fucking film? And the book is great. And the, the, the it's, it's, it's how, complex. How Catholics in Japan, directed by Martin Scorsese, not Matt's favourite film of all time. You'd think. But, so it's, <laughs> it's, but it is a really good film. It's still very, very solid. Um, it just, it's just a swing and a miss. And so subsequently I gave it a four out of five and I was like saying, you know, here's the problems with it. There are, there are a few things that don't work. Things can be improved. It, you know, there's, there's a sort of pacing and monotony that doesn't work there. It just hangs a little too long. Again, we're talking about the time where Betsy go off and do The Irishman and, you know, um, make this extremely long film that is, you know, kind of meant to rival Goodfellas, except it doesn't because it's the films he's making at the minute and they're appreciated on their own sense. But Silence to me, again, there's so much of it that's beautiful and painful and heartfelt and earnest but it's missing something and i again just switching the actors would have been a start that's my my first thing not not, not shitting on andrew garfield i think he does a phenomenal job in it but there's other things there um and maybe just you know shifting some of the tone and production and making just a tighter leaner less precious script i think maybe an hour and 45 you could do something really strong with that so that's my that's my opening one um People might go, oh my god, Silence. I, I still think you should. I still think it's a good... Have you, got, have, you, have you guys seen Silence? I have, yes. What do you think, Jack? I enjoy it. Yeah. I've, I, so I remember you telling me the, oh, it should have been 
Garfield and drive around the it other way. It should have been me. It should have <laughs> been me. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I, I like it, but I don't love it. There it and is. There yeah, it is. Uh, I, I find that with most of Scorsese stuff over the last... Ooh. I don't particularly enjoy the Irishman either. Um, you don't. And you don't like Shutter Island? I don't like Shutter Island either. I'm like... I'm trying to think what of Martin Scorsese's stuff over the last 20 years I've liked. What else is there in the last 20 years? Well, The Departed. The Departed. Well, oh yeah, just about, yeah, because that's 2006, isn't it? Yeah. So, apart from his best movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon Spicy is about tick. to come out soon. That True. might be... Yeah. People are saying By it's the time you hear like, this, it will be out. Mm, yeah, so, people, yeah, people are very... Which doesn't mean it's good. No. That just means they're talking about it. Yeah. And Avia is another example of one on these lists of things like, you know, it's so good, but it's like, yeah, it mm. is. But something, something, something's off. Mm. Anyway, uh, Tim, what about your first pick? My first pick is a film that you love. Oh. Uh, okay. And it's a film that I have. Oh, a I just very, remember. Fuck you, Tim. <laughs> that I have a very concrete, simple fix for. Did, because we watch, I, did we watch this together, Tim? No, we watched it very close together, though. Yeah, because I think we had the. We walked out six feet apart. Respectively. Yeah. And I was like, fucking love that film and your reaction was like yeah yeah give him better i respect it he's not wrong went to what i've got to say yeah uh <laughs> so my first pick is shang chi and the legend of the ten rings oh yeah that's six out of ten film it's <laughs> fine i will feed it's you it's an adequate marvel movie is what that is seven inches of fury <laughs> i think i think it has good points i think it has bad points i think yeah it's it's it suffers from being in that phase four, we don't know exactly what we're doing right now. Yep. Um, and I think the biggest mark against it is that it devolves into a big CGI battle at the end. Yep, agreed. And I think that the solution to that is so very, very simple because you've had throughout the film, you, we, we've had this revelation that, oh, um, Wenwu, the, the, the actual Mandarin, has been haunted by this vision of his wife um, who has been appearing to him and telling him that he needs to open up this gate. And then he does, and a big monster comes out and they fight it, and it's, it's bad. It's and dragon thing, yep. And they should just have had it be a repeat. It should be Ying Li, his wife, but like corrupted and an evil version of her. Mm. And then you have a repeat of their first fight that we see in the movie that's the opening fight. Oh, it's just like a poetry and it so rhymes. Totally rhymes, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, except it's now him and Shang-Chi against her. And that way you keep the action on a human scale and you are allowed to, you can still have all the other, the weird little vampire bat head things <laughs> fly out if you want, if you want to give the village something nah, to do during it. Yeah, and you, like, I, I don't know if you still bring in the dragon in the lake somehow, but that final battle should be a kung fu battle. It should not, yeah, it, it I agree be, with you, Tim. It should, well, be I a, agree. it should be a human scale kung fu battle. It should not be a fucking Dragon Ball Z fight against a dragon. <laughs> like, I mean, when you put it that way, it sounds great. But, yeah, but it's I, I, but it's yeah, but it's not it's really not. It's not. It's it's and and kind of mentioned uh, at the beginning and 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 uh, something we sort of touched on but haven't really like. With these films, especially with the, your kind of Marvel, any any modern blockbuster essentially that that relies heavily on CGI, anything that 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 is heavily visual effects that CGI has been put into motion so much ahead of 
the actual production of the film because it takes a really fucking long time to do these effects. And so often... Even, even longer to do it well. Yeah, and even longer to do it well. So oftentimes the script is not finished by the time that they are doing these big CGI battles, almost certainly for Marvel, because we know how they work and they, we know they're absolutely appalling working practices and the, the weird decisions they make with some of their filmmaking. Um, so, like, it would simplify things so much if you make this a battle between human combatants because it means that you don't have to start it before you know what the film is actually about. And, yeah, having this, it would hone in on that family relationship and, the, the, you know, the, the, the fact that the three main characters of that film are kind of haunted by their relationship with their mother. So you have the mother be the thing that they have to fight at the end and confront, and it's, or it's not even the mother, it's a thing wearing the face of their mother. And, it, and you make that, as, as Bruce Lee says, we need emotional content. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need to have that final battle mean something. And it tries to do that, but because it is this big wish-wash, smoky, ethereal CGI nonsense that they're fighting, weird dragon thing, like, you don't feel any of that emotional impact. And, it, and, and because it's all CGI... The colours are all washed out because that's how Marvel lights their stuff because they know that they've got to do CGI for Flat. it. Flat. Yeah, so that it's then easier to do the CGI for. And so it would improve so much of the final third of that film and make it feel like a proper resolution to it by having that... And fucking Kung Fu fights are brilliant. And they are so, yeah. like, and they, but they only work when you know that it is real people doing real fighting. Like, or not real fighting, but like real stunt work and real choreographed action. And I know that they brought in the, the, ten, the ten rings to make it so that Shang-Chi could play on the level of the Avengers. Oh, well, yeah, but that's, that's always the classic, like, is this a story contained? We've got our bigger universe problems. Yes. I must admit, um, because I, I do really love that film, and I agree with you. Because the, we get the emotional height of uh, Tony Lung and Simi Liu fighting. And you get the symmetry there where it's like he sees his wife and his son. And you're like, that's something. This is the emotional core of the film. And then it keeps going. And I'm like, this is where you do the big stuff. It's the big kung fu fight at the end. And, and the stand up to your father, who's this monstrous fucking individual. There's so many levels of things going on. And they're like, yeah, but it's a Marvel. We have to have a big CGI showdown. It's like, I don't think you do. I think you're pushing so heavily for this. You're going to take something, again, this is why it becomes that near miss thing. Something that could have been, and I, I still maintain, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's, my love of it is the whole, like, I enjoy it as a film as a standalone. I like what it does. I like the character. But on top of that, I think in amongst the things that we're releasing around that time, and God knows the things came out fucking after that, um, it felt more like a strong presence, but it's absolutely a case of like, well, you don't, you, you're set up this emotional through line and your resolution is the end of The Hobbit? Where yeah. Where he has to shoot the big dragon with an arrow? Yeah. 
and 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 it's the thing of we talked a bit, a bit about marketing it's like oh well, we've got to have this big cgi battle because that's what audiences want audience you're marvel audiences will want what they what you tell them they want <laughs> boom if you if you go hey this film is going to end with a fight between three people with a bit of minimal cgi of these rings flying around and them using them as weapons but hey maybe they're actually also practical props and we're just having them like smash into each other like knuckle dusters mm. if you film it in a good way and i and i i i believe like destin daniel craig like i think he's got potential to like some of the earlier stunt work was really good and obviously the he's working with all a, the marketing yeah people liked that scene and it was all the marketing yeah, because it was cool because, and practical because on the it actual was, fucking bus exactly thing. and it reminded people of jackie chan and shit like exactly that. And it's like, with the jacket and, and yeah swinging exactly. around the thing and yeah. so focus on that focus on the practical filmmaking focus on the stunt work and it would have been such a more sat from a story point of view and from a filmmaking point of view just a much more satisfying film. I agree I, with that. I Can't agree as well. Yep. I wildly agree, Tim. Jack, your first simple, easy fix. Nope. With a near miss. Nope. Coming in with a hot take, because oh. some people fucking love this movie. Piping from the other. And that is true for both of my picks. I think both of mine are pretty Ooh. hot take controversial. Oh, okay. I want to talk, I want to go in chronological order and start off with one that very much leads into the other, because they're kind of trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about 2001's AI artificial intelligence. Is your fix to have uh, Kubrick not die? That would, <laughs> that would be great, right? Yeah, that would be the, the ideal solution. Um, Hello, Spielberg. Yeah, it's for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do, if you know anything about this film, the fact that it was worked on Stanley, by Stanley Kubrick for like 25 years, since like the mid-70s, mm. mm. and he tried to go through various things then he realized like our oh, CGI is not going to be good enough because he didn't trust a child actor to play the main character of David well enough. And it's a whole thing. And basically nothing happened. He went through like various different pre-production stages, had various different concept artists. It's a whole fucking shit show for 20 years. And then finally, unfortunately, when he passed away, he essentially handed over the project to his friend, Steven Spielberg and was like, Hey, I've got all this stuff for this film, I trust you to essentially finish this project for me. Whoops. And some people fucking love this film. Going you, back to our You friend, can like it a bit, you can't love it. Oh, it's, it's in I'm like... I'm sure people do, but... You it's know. in like top films of the 21st century lists and stuff, like nah. top films of all time lists and shit like this. Yeah, but so's Avatar, that's fucking... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Roger Ebert, going back to Ebert from... Uh, <laughs> we mentioned him regularly on the show. Four out of four, absolute masterpiece, says Ebert. Wrong. Um, I think it's a big clunky mess that doesn't quite work in gelling itself altogether, mainly because Kubrick and Spielberg are two polar opposite filmmakers. And I know this is the obvious thing to say, but obviously Kubrick is so much more calculating and kind of planned out and 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 driven by a lot of like very clear logistical processes and stuff like that i want to bring in very very quickly sorry Jack, yeah, I want to bring in, there was an interview with vincent d'onofrio fairly recently mm. talking about kubrick and how he worked on full male jacket and he oh, was yeah, like course, saying yeah. was he this you know traumatizing shelly devour level well I, I don't know i didn't work on that film and you know saying so he did say the scene you know the big iconic scene in uh, uh what you call it in, in, in full metal jacket where he does the whole thing blows his head off three takes that's mm. it 
He said most of the thing was done like one, one or two takes. I think it took a long time was the soap party, as he calls it, the smack in the soap and the socks. And I was like, he, he wanted a very specific thing. He said, but he also heard that from like um, Adam Baldwin and other people on the set, that there's a bit with a, a Matt Modine, they're stuck behind this wall in an, another scene in the, later in the film that he wasn't involved with at all because his character is dead. They were there for four months trying to get that one scene because Kubrick wasn't happy with the weather. <laughs> he wanted the lighting to look a certain way, he wanted the performance yep. to say a certain thing. I was like, no, it's not right. Not right. And again, the thing I always bring up is Kubrick saying to Harvey Keitel before he stomped the fuck off uh, Eyes Wide Shut. It's like, it's like, we've got it. We've got it. We don't need to do like 40 more of these fucking takes. We've got the thing. And he just leans around the camera and says, well, you want it to be good, right? I said, like, <laughs> you disrespectful motherfucker. <laughs> <clears throat> that level of perfectionism, better or worse, is not Spielberg. No. And Spielberg shouldn't be. He does his own thing. Yeah. But it means you've got a very different movie on your hands. Yes, very much so. And that level of hyper-specific filmmaking, that level of perfectionism that is... Basically, what Kubrick is known for at this point is legendarily known across anybody who's ever worked with him or done a documentary about him, whatever it is. Partly one of the reasons why he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, but it does make for incredibly difficult production processes and filming processes and post-production processes and all this kind of stuff. Spielberg, on the other hand, is driven by sentimentality and emotions, two things that Kubrick is not known for at all. And in my opinion, this film is like getting chocolate and cheese and just smushing them together in a sandwich and be like, well, you like both of them, right? Eat them in a sandwich, motherfucker. It's like, I don't want a chocolate cheese sandwich. You, you fucking maniac. What are you talking about? See, I like that you can make chocolate cheesecake, but this isn't that. Exactly. Because you've yeah. a different director. You want a mature cheddar and like a milky chocolate. We're like, <laughs> no, fuck off. Yeah. Weird, weird. I don't want that. It's this weird thing where two completely polar opposite ideologies are just grinding together and it never truly clicks with me. And I tried, I love Spielberg. He made some of my favorite films of all time. I love Kubrick. He's made some of my favorite films of all time. The two of them do just do not gel together to me, for me, for whatever reason. I know quite a few people agree with me, but like I said, I know a lot of people really, really, really like AI as well. For me, I wonder if it, is just Spielberg taking a more Spielberg-y approach to it and doing his own proper version. The real answer would be, obviously, maybe maybe never get made if Kubrick didn't pass away and hand it over. Maybe he would have just toiled away at it for the rest of his life. Either way, you know, regardless of whether he passed away in the 90s or when he was much, much older. But I find it so fascinating that it's this like legendarily weird production hell thing that this just existed in for so long. I fucking hate the ending as well, for the record. Which one? Exactly. It just never seems to fucking end. Yeah, it does a Return of the King where it has like 10 different endings, but the... There uh, are moments where you feel like it should stop and it just keeps going. Yeah. uh, And the things it keeps going with, you go, what the fuck? (laughs) I honestly don't understand how people think this is one of the best films of the 21st century, but but yeah, in all that. And it's something I'll talk about in my second pick as well, because it's all time is a flat circle, all very related to each other. The ending where, one of the endings, haha, where, oh, it's advanced androids and they like bring him back and like, yeah, he's, he's been sat there for 2000 years and it's, he's living in the future. He's the one who knew the humans. They do this thing and it's like, oh, you're, you're doing a 2001, like you rebuild the, the house on Jupiter type thing and it's a whole, 
sure. I mean, we'd, we've done that like 50 fucking years ago. Well, 30 something years ago at that point. Do we need, I, I get it, but like, do, do we need to do this shit? If you've and, been working on an idea for decades, sometimes the idea has passed its shelf date. I yeah I, uh, I I'm of two minds. I there's there's three solutions really. Yeah. One of them is it never gets made and it exists in production hell forever, and Kubrick never makes it and never passes it over, and it just never exists. The other one is Spielberg takes a more Spielbergian, goes for a full rewrite, does his own thing, and and shifts it into something different and makes it more family driven, more emotionally driven than it is, and makes David a, a different character. And the third one is obviously, unfortunately, Kubrick passed away. Kubrick doesn't pass away and makes his own version of the film, and it's something probably completely different again. And I know there's been uh, interviews with Watson, one of the screenwriters, in, in, interviews with one of the concept artists who worked with both Kubrick and then was brought mm. back by Spielberg, a guy called Baker, who was um, working with him various times throughout his career and stuff like that. I think it's a big old mess. I think there is something in there that you could, you know, chip away at and make good. But I think there are so many different moving parts. It either needs to be pulled in one direction or the other. It's not necessarily a simple fix, but you either need to go full Kubrick or full Spielberg yeah. and not try and smush the two together. I think that's entirely fair. I was thinking between 1987, and Kubrick makes Full Metal Jacket, and 1999, where he makes Eyes Wide Shut, there is time. Yeah. And I know it's the whole, well, technology, ooh, CGI. No. No. There is time. What you need, and I, this is going to sound fucking sacrilegious, someone needed to just tell Kubrick to chill, chill the fuck out. Get the fuck on with it. <laughs> and I mean, like, his daughter or someone very close to him who he respects, just saying, ah, it's not right, it's not right. Doesn't matter. Get it done. Dan, come on. Come on, man. we got to do it. Stop fucking about. Sort it out. Because as much as there's the whole like, ah, oh, yeah, but the perfect... Well, what happens is Spielberg half-asks it <laughs> by trying to interpret something that you were doing anyway, makes this weird chimera beast and mm. nobody's happy. Yeah, yeah, the best thing to do would be to travel back and show him AI and go, if you don't make it, this is what it ends up as. I mean, Tim might be on it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll do a time travelly wibbly-wobbly thing through one mm -hmm. of Kubrick's other... Not yeah. impossible. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, it's impossible. <laughs> anyway. Background to you, Matt. So I'm going from silence to a film that I'm going to have to do a lot of, a lot of like, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. So, Silence of 2016, uh, a fairly recent movie on the things of like yeah. near misses, you know, usually tracking from all kinds of years. My next one is from 2021. 2021's prequel, The King's Man. Hang, hang on. Hang on. A bad film. <laughs> and after he just said about the whole, like, but you, you said about good films at some kind of, no, 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 this is a bad film. And I made my wife watch it after I seen it and said, yeah, I get a review, like a two out of five. It's not a good film at all. It's, it's shit. Okay. I want you to watch it so I can talk about it. It's like, <sighs> okay. And then we did. And she said, no, I see your point. Yeah, thanks, Em. I'm glad you watched it. No. <laughs> to explain. Kingsman, the Taron Egerton sort of pseudo-campy Bond, very silly, quite fun 
uh, surprising action comic thing, and it's not great follow-up sequel, Kingsman Golden Circle, has a prequel that nobody asked for. The first King's Man in World War One. It's like oh, that. That feels odd. That feels like you should go back further, considering all code names of Lancelot and shit. But yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> what, what is it then? So the reason. Okay, to give you a bit, a bit of context, it's Ray Fiennes, and the film Matthew Vaughan makes is fascinating because on one level, there's two or three things going on. The first is it opens in 1902, and Ray Fiennes plays this, you know, Duke of Oxford, and he's an aristocrat, and his wife and your very young son Conrad are visiting. They're working part of a part of, uh, part of uh, British Red Cross, and they're visiting a. And I cannot stress this enough because it uses the correct wording: a British concentration camp in Africa. And we do not talk about this. Mm. We're always like, oh, Germany, oh, Nazis. We kind of invented the fucking things. Yeah, we're the worst. And it's like, you don't see that in a blockbuster. You don't see Britain talking about this past. This is a, from a British film, especially with American funding. Holy fuck. And the whole thing becomes a story about pacifism. Because during that stage is an attack and uh, sad dad, um, <coughs> Ray finds his wife is shot and killed. And he becomes this whole like, nope, 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 nope. Then Conrad grows up. And Conrad is played by a young actor who's been in a handful of things at this minute. Um, and he's genuine person. It's Harris Dickinson. And he's been in Triangle of Sadness and um, he was in uh, Scrapper recently. And he's just a genuinely like, quite talented, decent, decent actor who's got, I'm coming. And he plays his son. And he's like, I want to go off and fight World War I, father. It's like, no, you fucking can't. It's like, no, I'm going to do this. And does the typical World War I story, the almost Gallipoli style thing of like, you can't do it. I won't allow it. I've seen the horrors of war. It's like, but I'm a young man and everyone's going and I'll yeah. be the only one not to. I'm Duke's son. So I'm already blah, blah, blah. I can fight. I've been trained. I can, you know, do all this stuff. I can fly mm. a plane. I want to do it. And then yeah. he lies and he takes on um, the alias of another person in the, in the trenches and goes something. Okay. And then what happens is, I don't give a fuck about spoiling this one. The son's like, oh my God, there's a British spy out there who's got this information that's really important to the war effort. I'm going to go save him goes out there and saves him. As he comes over the, friend, the trench, <clears throat> he's got this important information. It's going to say things. And there's like, all the British soldiers are like, who the fuck are you? Because, you know, if you just run over from the trench and no one's who you are, you could be a German spy, obviously, in, in theory. And so, I'm Archie so-and-so. It's like, no, you're not. I know him. He's Scottish. Who the fuck are you? And before he has a chance to explain, about two-thirds of way through the film, he's shot in the face and killed. I was like, oh, no, this isn't how the story's supposed to go. What the fuck? Oh, shit. And then the news comes back and it's delivered to him, the guy who he traded places with, the actual Archie, whatever his name is, to tell his father, he's like, oh, I had to fight my son, but, you know, I'm very proud of him. He's like, yeah, um, your son's dead. And I'm terribly sorry he switched places with me. And he's cut up and he's awful about it. And he's like, right, well, I have to go and do something then. We tried to do this together where we tried to prevent the war. They evolved in the whole, like, you know, um, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, where they tried to prevent that too. It didn't go the way he wanted to. And he has to um, go on this thing he's drawn into, this violent quest of taking out one of the people who's trying to, you know, manipulate the strings in the background. I think that sounds like a really fascinating drama about World War I. A bit heightened, but 
Mm. Very interesting. That's half of the film. The other half is a Kingsman movie. <laughs> and that is my problem with this film. Yeah. If you just did this movie about this guy who says, again, the wonderful line saying, you look a real gentleman. He's getting a suit fitted for him. He's like, mm. gentleman, such a strange phrase. And he talks about how at one point you should never forget who we are in our privilege because, you know, people are like, oh, wokey, wokey, wokey. Mm. But it's like, hang on. Mm. What happened was one of our um, uh, descendants, effectively, what well, was something, sorry, our, our ancestors, was one of the most violent individuals, beat the crap out of everyone, the most brutal oppressor. And then they carried on that oppression by saying, see this tiny baby? They're the most important thing. And I am, my violence will follow you through history unless you respect that person. Mm. And that became manners and class mm. and all these sorts of things. And that's where you end up with, um, somewhere along the line we become, in inverted commas, civilized. Mm. It's like, no, you're not. You're just the... The, des the descendants of violent people. Mm. All, all ruling classes are. All money is. That's mm. what it kind of comes from. Um, and that just sort of awareness in film in a blockbuster of this nature is fantastic. But on the other end, you have Ray Fiennes having a war wound in his leg that Reese fans as Rasputin goes <laughs> and starts tonguing to just sort of give him some <laughs> magical healing. And then you've got fucking Hitler and yeah. Lenin at the end saying, ah, hello, comrade Hitler. What the fuck <laughs> is this? What is this bullshit? And like, oh, I'm going to try and land a biplane on this fucking tiny mountainside. Yeah! Mm. And he gets headbutted by a goat. It's like, this bullshit. You said about, you know, picking a tone, right? Which yep. one are you going to go with, a Spielberg or a Kubrick? No. You tell your World War One film or you do a really silly campy prequel yeah. you cannot have it both ways you can dial up and down bits and pieces but you are trying to make two really opposing movies and the frustration of the one of them is really really interesting mm. um and it really fucks me off because i remember seeing the trailer and think this is gonna be shite film starts up and think oh, actually you know what this isn't oh, not that bad this is this could be quite surprisingly grounded it's, it's separate enough from the you know exe i'm shoot you um you know it's sort of like you know Oh, fucking come on, I'll do you up the ass because that's a weird way that film ended. Yep. Even weirder with its sequel of Elton John, but there we go. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And then when you get what it is and think, no, fuck. So it's how it's a near miss. It's a near miss because it's a story that shouldn't have been a Kingsman movie. It's not a case of changing the actors because the actors are perfectly suited. It's not a case of change the director because Vaughn's direction makes sense. He could do it quite well. It's not even like tweet the script. You can't do that. You have to fundamentally take one of the core elements of this film and throw it in the bin. All that, you know, Matthew Good being like, Hello, I'm Scottish. Fuck the English, eh, you bastard. It, fuck off. You know, there's a whole Matahari style like, oh, I have evidence of the presence. There's so many fucking globetrotting bits. You can do all that stuff without making it this weird comic book romp. And it would be a much better film it would still be you could still make a heightened action film for a you know different audience it doesn't have to be fucking 1917 or all quiet on the western front but just don't do that and again yeah. to end with the whole like as i say ah uh, our plans didn't work out this time shepherd whatever you got daniel brawl in there as well and you're like what the fuck are you doing with these good actors and then it's like <laughs> who could we visit like, ah my friend Lenin, he will help us and uh. i know this one young austrian man who wants to get revenge hello i'm hitler it's like no, 
no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no. We can make jokes about the whole Samuel Jackson has some sort of radio frequency that blows people's heads up because they've bought a special mobile phone or some bollocks. That's silly and dumb. Fine. You can't, you kind of can't do this because you're trying to do too many things and they're not working. So yeah. like, again, I probably have spoiled that film. Good. I don't care. You could stop watching and go, oh, I see what you mean. But have you either of you seen the film? No, I've not. No, no, exactly. And it's frustrating because there's a lot of commentary and that's interesting. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer for it and going, oh, that could be fun. Rasputin, man. <laughs> Reese Evans has Rasputin. He goes for it as well. Of course yeah. he does. There's, there's, there's some stuff in there that works, but a lot. Fucking yeah. hell. Him eating the entire Bakewell tart. Just, <laughs> <laughs> so weird. What a oh. sentence. That Tim, is. what's your second one? Uh, my second one was actually uh, Jack very kindly uh, in giving Josh's description uh, and request at the start of the episode skipped over. I did a little bit because Josh actually mentioned this film uh, in their request, and uh, I completely forgot about that, uh, and then was was deciding on my picks and was like, "Oh yeah, that's one I want to cover," uh, and then and then saw that. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the message from them again was like, oh okay yeah well that definitely works they definitely had this one in mind because <laughs> I'm going to talk about 2016's Passengers yeah this <sighs> this is a bad film this is a an excellent choice for yeah. a bad film <laughs> mm-hmm. um I can remember going I uh, the, the 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 discourse had already started about this film um and. Uh, I went to see it with my sister and a friend of hers while I was down visiting her and uh, coming out of the cinema. And uh, my sister doesn't have great taste in films and she, she, <laughs> would, she would happily say that. Um, and uh, I can remember the two of them just going like, oh, I really enjoyed that. And just me turning to them and going like, what? <laughs> what about... What about all of this stuff? And them going, no, oh, I don't, don't really think of it that way. But <sighs> tough, tough. It's in there. Uh, for people who don't know, the, the very base premise of this is that uh, this is like a, a, a colony ship heading off to a new planet and uh, everyone's in suspended hi- uh, 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 animation. Um, and then for some reason, Chris Pratt's character gets woken up and asteroids yeah then an asteroid hits, hits oh, no. the ship that's later he just gets woken up doesn't he no no it's because it's because of, of an asteroid sorry yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah um uh he gets woken up and realizes that they've still got something like 120 years on their journey to this new world so he's gonna be dead by the time that they reach there and there's no one else on the ship apart from michael sheen's robot bartender who's a weird shining reference for yep. some reason. I mean, um, the the empty isolation and going mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, yeah. in a different film, makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, and so he becomes weirdly obsessed with this one person who is Jennifer Lawrence's character, who's also in suspended animation. Um, and he decides to wake her up so that he's got a companion for the rest of his time there. Uh. And, but tells her that she was just another malfunction and that she, you know, oh, the ship's going wrong. We've both woken up. I've been awake for a bit longer than you, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
They get into a relationship. She then finds out what he's done, but then he, quote unquote, redeems himself uh, by fixing the ship um, and almost dying in the process, basically. And if you're going, wait, he he wakes up, he dooms her to a life with just him uh, and then kind of lies to her and... Gaslights her, gas, manipulates her. He manipulates her yeah. into, a, into a relationship and that's meant to be seen as romantic. Mm-hmm. It's charming. Yeah, it's charming. It's Chris Price, charming guy. Uh, yeah. We have learned he's it, not since. It is, <laughs> it is not. Uh, and essentially... There is a simple fix to this film because you just change the genre of it. <laughs> you make it a th- psychological thriller. You change you ed- change the editing so that it's we start with Jennifer Lawrence waking up. Yeah, and you, and you make it a film from and her point of view. He's already there, like, and he is already there. She, you still get that sequence of her. You know, she wanders around the ship and then she stumbles across him, and he's like, "Oh, he's like." I've only woke up as well. I, I've 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 just woken up as well. Blah blah blah. Here's the deal, um, and then you can have a flashback. And I think if you if you are rooting it in her uh, experiences, and then you reveal why he has done what he has done mm-hmm. after she after she finds it out, you then show his journey and the and his isolation. Because it does a pretty good job of showing him kind of descending into madness, yeah, I agree. being I the agree. only person on this ship. Um, and at that point, that becomes a sort of your audience gets tricked into like, I, I guess. And then you go, but no, yes. And then you have to change <laughs> the entire ending because he shouldn't get redeemed. It should be a story of like Invisible I understand. I understand why you did it, but what you did was still wrong, and you have doomed me to a life. By myself with the person who has done that to me. Yeah. Um, and also Michael Sheen's robot bartender. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think I think that you could actually make a good film out of this. You just have to dramatically mm-hmm. rethink what that film is. Um, and the other there is also one other fix that I would do, which is don't make the spaceship look like a fucking interior like it looks like a shopping mall. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I realized that it that's the aesthetic they're going for, but it also doesn't look like a good shopping mall. <laughs> um, it looks like a weird. It looks like it's been shot in like a weird empty Dubai hotels shopping complex for most of it. It probably was. Yeah, yeah. It may, it may <laughs> have, yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's such a a weird aesthetic to decide upon for like it does. It doesn't feel futuristic. It just feels. I don't know. I guess I. I and again, like. Part of it's like, oh, it feels like cold and sparse, and it's like maybe that's the point. But then equally, like, again, we're talking about like the craft of your filmmaking being at odds with the plot of your film. Yes, like a hollow, sterile place to make you feel isolated works yeah. when it's Chris Pratt on his own. When yeah. these two people making a home, it's like I don't feel comfortable here. No, no, and they try and sort of almost uh, have something that, in a way, like under not undermines it, but like the final reveal of the film is like this tree that has burst up through it. And there when the, when the rest of the crew finally wakes up and this, this, you know, Oh, this is where they've made their life together, you know, and died presumably. 
like you know he's there they've made it a much more pleasant place to live kind of thing but like that's fucking weird. that's that's like the final 30 seconds of the film and so it doesn't really hit home like yeah it's just it is a film of confounding choices of just like i don't understand why this is the film you chose to make um and they i wake love up, the, the, sorry sorry they wake up lawrence fishburne to not only go oh let's add some more dilemma because someone else on the crew has to be able to work through the ship yeah. But to also say, oh, I've done this thing, by the way. Like, you better tell her, son. It's like, no, you need to tell him that he's a psycho. Yeah. And then Chris Pratt kills him to cover the secret. That's, yeah. that's the story, right? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. You don't, if you do bring a third element in, it's the Dick Halloran character in fucking The Shining. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. He's coming to save you, right? Uh, maybe not. Yeah. Um, and I, I find it fascinating that... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence has later admitted that uh, Adele warned her not to do this film and she should have listened to her. Wow. I know. Um, so, you know, shows Adele has more knowledge you about know, filmmaking than Morton Tildum. Director of The Imitation Game and uh, no, other, no other feature film since this. Mm. What was it, like six, seven years ago? Yeah, yeah seven, he's, seven he's, done, years ago, he's done some TV since then, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, our final near miss. Indeed. You laid some very connective tissue there, Tim. I appreciate mm. that. We're back in space, ladies and gentlemen. Space! It ties Boom. back not only to Tim's isolationist space exploration kind of stuff in Passengers, it also ties to my Stanley Kubrickiness I was just talking about Ooh. with AI, because it's kind of trying to be 2001 and <laughs> quite get there. Yeah. No, no, no ties to you, Matt. You don't deserve them. Shut up. Yeah, it is. Uh, silence. It should have been a science movie, not a weird romance movie. <laughs> I mean, that I do agree with. Sort of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about 2014's Interstellar. And this is another film I know two or three people. Yeah. Which is their favorite film. End of sentence. Full yeah. stop. This is where I started saying in my reviews about how Nolan isn't magnificent and people started trying to kill me and yep. i said i alluded to it in fucking dark knight rises but yeah so, so did i i know, I know, so, I know. We, we know we know about my history with dark knight rises this is obviously where i kind of fell off with nolan because i fucking hate the last half an hour of interstellar actually like the majority of the rest of the film i think it's incredibly shot some of the ideas and themes and cinematography is incredible dialogue yeah but some some brilliant performances, some brilliant acting, some brilliant directing, cinematography, some production design, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, some miserable practical uh, exploration things yeah. of like, why are you going out there? Like, you know, we're trying to work on the answer over here. It's like, there is no answer yep. over here. It's like, yep. what, do you, what do you mean? What are we doing in the meantime? We did just save the species, just not us. You know, yep. that's a, a jaw drop. Like, oh it's my a, god, that is a really cool classic sci-fi like. You're going to get an answer, but it's not the answer you want kind of thing. Yeah. We talked about the brilliant designs of the robots involved, like TARS and the guys, like these brilliant weird cube rotating things. Fucking love like, TARS. Such a cool idea. <laughs> it's such a brilliant thing. And then love lets you time travel in a bookcase through the fifth dimension. And I'm like, oh, sorry, what? With stronger writing, you can make that work in theory. Should you, though? It's kind of 2001. Like, you have the whole teleportation through the light 
sphere thing, wibbly wobbly bookcase bollocks in 2001, when David becomes Star Child, spoiler for a 50 year old film, where he becomes Star Child and ascends to conscious, pure consciousness and all this bollocks. And like, that's clearly what Nolan is doing. Mm hmm. There are so many references to 2001. Can you tell I've recently rewatched 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the fact that Nolan is essentially trying to do a modern version of 2001 Space Odyssey, it, it really stumbles that final hurdle for me because the moment you have, I, I find McConaughey's like ugly crying a bit much like for the entire <laughs> film that thing that he does <laughs> just kind of drives me insane but the whole so he was the one who moved the thing from the bookcase and it was the he time traveled to send the message and then he gets back to earth and then he's like cool i'm back now I'm fucking off again. See you later. Murph, you're the most important thing to me, but I really want to fuck I'll be back here Hathaway. for like, hold on. And uh, you, hold on, you dead? Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, okay, I'm off. And all my um, descendants have no idea who I am. They're all at the, the, the deathbed of um, Jessica Chastain's character. Wouldn't like, you be like famous? Like somebody mentioned so you? It's like, so weird. It's so weird. I find it's a real weird, like Nolan writing quirk thing yeah. where there's just like, do you want to mention that at all? Like that happens in the Batman movies. It happens in a lot of his stuff where people just kind of go without saying anything. And you're like, you, it, she would have mentioned her fucking dad who disappeared, who basically defined her entire career and life and stuff. And things be fairly fucking important. Even regardless, the fucker turned up again. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this comes from Christopher Nolan having a hitman for a brother. <laughs> it's like, we maybe. just don't talk about things that go on in our families. <laughs> Clearly, Jesus. Uh, the mysterious Nolan brother. Interstellar is more a near miss fixable thing than Tenet. Yes. Tenet has more Tenet fundamental. Big, Tenet, mm. you'd have to pull on that string for fucking 15 yeah. minutes and try and work out which end is which. And then you're like, you ever tried, like, got a bunch of cables and, like, <laughs> tried to untangle them? I think it's more like trying to remove tea from. Sorry, try to remove milk from tea. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, have, have you, you got a centrifuge? Up? No. You're fucked. Yeah. yeah. It's possible, but <laughs> with why? Pipette. Careful pipettes for the next I'll six hours. I'll just chuck hours. out and make a new one. Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. You need to make yeah. pure milk from tea with milk in them. Yeah. Fuck. But instead, it's one of those, like, it's like, it's served in a, it's served in a beaker. It's like, yeah. Uh, the beaker's made of love. Of beaker. Ju <laughs> made of love. The beaker's made of biscuits. Like, like, the beaker's made of bookcase. <laughs> <laughs> like, this feels like you've made a mistake here. Just you put it in a glass. It's too obvious. Maybe just do it. Yeah, and it, it it I'm gonna keep talking about 2001 because it so brushes against it with that last half an hour specifically, like the oh they're like transcendental beings or transdimensional beings or I, they mm. spoke to me through the seven too hard for you to comprehend mem membrane of multiverses or whatever. Don't worry about it. This is me coming from an astrophysics degree, and I'm like, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, and they even had like actual like that the representation of the black hole they have in that film at the time was the most accurate mm. like visualization of a black hole ever created and all this some brilliant science goes into this film and then it all gets chucked out the fucking window for the last half an hour and i know 2001 kind of does the same thing but 2001 doesn't set itself up as super scientifically mm. accurate and stuff in it, a, in a way it's a fault of the marketing 
because yeah. they spent so yeah. they spent so much of the marketing being like it's the most accurate version Absolutely. of a black hole. Yeah. Here's Neil deGrasse Tyson telling us how wanking off this film. Yeah, <laughs> as he does other things. It, um, <laughs> it didn't help that the marketing was also a year and a half in advance with some pictures of like initial flight engines. And yeah. Rising. Our species never supposed to survive. Blah, 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 blah. All right, all right, all right. And he's just like, you know, he's given this whole, and then you see the rocket take off. Like, what is this about? Right. Yeah. My God. And then it's, you see a trailer. You're like, okay. And you see, yeah, you know, the black hole and the time dilation and the wave. And like, wow. I fucking hate that. Where are we going with this? Uh, And it literally is, well, which one do we go with? Matt Damon or this other guy? I'd like to not go to Matt Damon. Why not? Because I love that guy. Well, that's not really logical. Damon seems like kind of a dick. So, uh... Well, to be fair, we did, they didn't know at the time. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. the worst part because the, the the film goes out of its way to say, like, it, just the idea that this this hero they've elevated is not what they think and he's just desperately selfish trying to get mm. back home, even though the home is ruined. Mm. That's a problem. But it therefore also means that Anne Hathaway's character was, in inverted commas, kind of right. Like, mm. yeah. should have gone that one. It's like, no, he was already dead. Yeah. So, yeah, but the chance of seeing him alive—it's enough. It's like, but he was dead mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, I'm gonna fly off and go and see Anne Hathaway anyway. So see you later. But she could be dead. <laughs> time dilation. Didn't we just have this conversation? Yeah. Like, like, ah, the time dilation thing annoys me as well. I can't live on a halo. Bye bye. They go off on the planet for like seven hours, and it's like fifty years for this dude, and he's like. Hey guys, I've been waiting 50 years for you. Yeah. He would have gone insane. Yeah, yeah. He would have gone thoroughly insane. He would insane. have gone Chris Pratt in Passengers. <laughs> like, times a million. He goes a little quiet and refrain, which is fine, but he doesn't go Mark Strong in Sunshine. Ah, yeah. yeah. Which There's is also. Yeah. 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 Yes, it's like, it's like a slasher movie now. A- another space crazy slasher thing that. He literally shouldn't... says, I slept on again for a decade here, a decade. There's like. I know we. I know that's the whole point, but it's just maddening. Yeah, how it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, hits right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think not having transdimensional love bookcases being the solution to the problem. <laughs> not having Matthew McConaughey show up for twenty seconds and be like, "So you laid a Murph," and then fuck off to fuck Anne Hathaway in a different galaxy or whatever. It's like that final third is just a big fucking mess of stuff that happens after the rest of the film. And I think there is a way you could make it cohesive and work with the rest of the film. There are ways where he never sees his daughter again. Cool. Or, like, he glimpses her through a time dilation thing, but is not able to travel there. Well, you you get that in the film. He narratively goes from, like, him being on the wave, what have I missed, what have I missed? And her saying... I'm the same age about now that you were when you left. Mm. Yeah. And then it cuts to her story. Yeah. That message ends and we carry on her story. That's like fucking hell. And then he delivers the message with thing. But then he has to go back as well to have a little face to face with her. Mm. Yeah. That's where it's like, hang on. Hang on, what? No. Sometimes in that, I'm making this very warlike, very unfortunate back to my reference, but sometimes getting the message across the line, sometimes getting the Enigma machine over there, sometimes. Sometimes, and this is going to shit on Rogue One, I'm sorry. Sometimes just many Bothan spies dying <laughs> or the plans of the Death Star Those getting into your hands. Bothan we don't need spies. to see how they got into someone's hands sometimes. We can just... But then you don't get the corridor scene, Matthew. I don't think I need the corridor scene. Because <laughs> he goes from doing that to just whacking a stick at Obi-Wan. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Nope. 
And uh, yeah, I think there is a way, I think you're totally right, having that devastating, devastating emotional moment of I am the age you were when you left and him dealing with that and all that kind of stuff. The emotional climax of it is so unsatisfying that it just kind of doesn't do anything, doesn't build upon that, doesn't improve on that relationship and make it any more impactful. It takes away the impact of what they've been through and stuff for me. And then, yeah, he just fucks off and you see Anne Hathaway on a different planet doing her little geological researchy stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. I think she was burying that guy, wasn't she? Yeah, probably. But that, but also then... No, you're right, then she didn't do the work. Yeah. yeah. I think the whole... It's like, it wants to have its cake and eat it. It wants to be an upbeat, uplifting ending for multiple reasons. Rather than just the human race is fucked, this new ship is how the human race survives, like spores in space. Yeah. I don't want that. Tough. Yeah. That's how it works. I think you go for the... Go dystopian. Dystopian existential ending. Hello, me and my sci-fi tastes. But go for that kind of vibe where Anne Hathaway is essentially our last hope and we have, as you said, scattered these seeds across to fucking hope for the best, I guess. Like, what else do we do? And instead of having this whole bullshit heartfelt reunion thing, have... McConaughey journey off and like in search of Hathaway or something like that. Yeah, and you could have it be ambiguous in the sense that he's like, we're a species who died on a planet, my daughter amongst them. I can't go back there because you can't undo your problems. Yep. I can't go forward because the species isn't going to survive with me. I'm a product of the old generation. I am a man out of time. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to have to find a way to live my last few years yeah. on a spaceship with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, <gasps> <gasps> that's how we do it. Yeah. But that's the point. You, you, but the problem is you don't want that. You want the whole like, oh, everything's perfect. Like, no. So yeah. like, the, the species does survive with the new colony of humans, but also the answer was given to humans how to make fucking Halo farms, ring world farms. And it's like, so it's a have your cake and eat it moment. It's like, yes. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much yeah. how I feel about Interstellar. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, I'm, I like so much of it and then just absolutely can't stand that last the, the the tying off of all of the knots were so neatly and stuff like that yeah just drives me insane so there we have it folks there are some examples of some near misses some films that should have been great and weren't quite great or just needed a few tweaks to make them really really good i'm sure you have a million fucking suggestions and complaints th complaints about our picks and why interstellar is great or why passengers is great or why silence is great or whatever it is let us know engage with us on the social medias come at us bros and and broettes mm. and non-binary bros mm. because you can find us on all the social media with sequelizers probably the best place is sequelizers.com you can go on the discord and have a big argument there i'm sure we'll be having one anyway that will happen regardless of whether I try to start fights or not, people will pick fights. <laughs> it's going to be the post-show discussion of everybody uh, going It's all nuts. very friendly, but it's very passionate. Oh, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a, a shit show in the nicest way possible. Yeah, And, and I love you Discord people for I'm, it. I'm waiting for people to say, like, the fucking final Resident Evil film is like, but it could have been so good. It's like, shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> we'll a, we'll, we'll let them, Tim yeah. decide that. People are going to try and defend, like, the worst movies. Now. Oh, definitely, definitely. We've, like, opened, we've opened the door for... Yeah. yeah, terrible defences of terrible movies. But I am JLW Chambers on absolutely everything. Come and follow me there. Argue with me about Interstellar if you want. I have an astrophysics degree. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, how can people find you across the internet? 
Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on all the social media channels. You can also go to theredrighthand.co.uk to read my film reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I make. I recently overhauled that site, so it's a bit cleaner now and easier to navigate. And you can uh, search out Sumo Drop Pod on Twitter. Sumo Drop, my sumo wrestling podcast. Tim, um, if people didn't want to miss you, oh, where could they find your thoughts? Uh, you can follow me, Trivia underscore lad, on Twitter, Trivia underscore lad on Letterboxd, and Trivia lad on Blue Sky. No underscore, just the words. Just the words, no underscore. Well, there you go, folks. It's another interseason episode. We'll be back next week with, once again, something quite different indeed. Another Patreon one? Another VIP Patreon pick and something considerably. Well, could be could be pretty kind of controversial. It's a pretty pretty hot topic. There are elements but... you could consider in some of these films that could cons- definitely, that definitely. Yeah. There are, yeah. there are some threads to pull on some connective tissue there as mm-hmm. well. You won't guess it. No, definitely not. But anyway, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next. Acid. I thought it would be easier for you to see in the edit. Okay. Pendo, I'm gonna fuck you. Take a sip of my juice. Done. Oh, damn! <laughs> no, I'm not done. There you go, now I'm done. Yeah, you're fucking <laughs>